And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Wipe a blank page or canvas, the challenge. Bring order to the whole through design. Composition. Balance. Both Tale Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. I'm Langley West. And we have a guest. Yeah, episode 120. Uh, a good friend of ours. We've known him for a long time. I've known him for a long, long, long time. Seen him at I, conventions forever. I've not known him for a long, long, long time, but maybe for a long time. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, anyway, our guest, Nick Gucker, a.k.a. Nick the Hat. Nick, welcome. Thank you kindly for having me on the show. Hey, no problem. You you are a gifted young man, sir. Thank you kindly. I, you know, I do what I can. No, I love your work. How, did, really... how did how did you meet or become aware of Nick? Saw him at a convention. That's where probably everyone met Nick. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Saw him at a convention, and uh, I actually saw there's a piece he did of two corpses in an embrace that stopped me oh, dead yeah. in my tracks, and that was the first one of the first things I went, "Holy shit! This guy is like legit. This guy isn't just some you know." Right, con artist. He's 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 legit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that derogatorily, but it's like no, I know. When you not, see not, someone, you go, "This guy's got the goods." Like like what? Uh, yeah, this will just be a matter only a matter of time until fame and fortune comes beating to his door. Has, has that happened yet? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> yeah, that 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 piece that you mentioned—that's uh, the postcoital zombie cuddle. Um, it was a illustration that I did a, a couple of pieces for that appeared in Strange Eons magazine for um, S.G. Brown. He wrote a story called, oh God, what was it called? Like Zombie Gigolo or something. Mm. Um, it was a gross-out story that he did for like a horror convention. I think it was the HWA, the Horror Writers Association. Yeah, every year they do a gross-out contest. Yeah, yeah, and he that was the story that he ended up submitting for print that I got to do some drawings for. Wow, that's cool. For the record, I would totally win that. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, that's Jason Brock's mag, yeah? Uh, no, Strange Eons is uh, Kelly Young. Okay. Brock, Brock doesn't do a mag anymore. He used to he used to uh, help publish the uh, um, Dark Discoveries. That's what it was. Why did I think Strange Eons? Hmm. I don't know. Because I'm a dope. <laughs> but, yeah, Kelly Young and um, uh, Rick do the... Uh, 
do uh, Strange Eons. Okay, right on. So uh, I'm trying to think, I'm kind of clambering around trying to think of a way to describe your art style. Uh, a lot of pen and ink. I'm going to I'm gonna say, um, while not always in the uh, subject or even, I was going to say the style, but the style is definitely there. I, I, I would say that Nick's art is a retro. It, it's, it's looking at the grotesque as beautiful mm-hmm. through a retro lens. Yeah. Nice. I like Look it. Look at you. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> fucking hell. Can I use that? <laughs> um, yeah, it's got a... It's got a, a, a definite perspective. It's beautiful line work, and yeah. it's dense. And um, we're, I, look at we're talking like he's I, not even here. I, I know. <laughs> I, I became aware of Nick I'm just probably, it uh, probably about the same time that uh, we all were doing the um, Carpe Noctum coloring books. Sure. And yep. uh, yeah, and, and and I'm like, this is really this is really cool. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, and then I I, I think I. Friended you on Facebook, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he promptly regretted it because for the next couple months I'm like, Nick, Nick, how do you do that? <laughs> Nick, how do you how do you make your lines like this and like that? Anyway, so I bugged the hell out of Nick, and and he's uh, uh, been a good friend to the show and came to um, Bleedingham. Uh, yeah, he came to the Festival of the Macabre last year, which was. Which was great. Thank you very much that, for that. That was a fun little gathering, I have to right say. On. It was a good time. I, I'm looking yep. forward to the shoot. I, I missed it last. Year. I was just there at the night of the of the screening. Right, right. And that was well, fun. you had a you had a whole play with the whole film fest going on. So uh, he did. I I just listen, man. I was just the judge. I just I just watched the movies, <laughs> tell everyone that what I think, which is something I do anyway. <laughs> I walk down the street and go, does that dress go with those shoes? No, of course not. Um, uh, but it, that's an essential thing. Yeah, it's just it, that's that's the I have the easy job. These guys are pulling bleeding him together, and I, I I have the easiest job in the world, just watching some films. And I, I sometimes think you have the most torturous job. Sometimes <laughs> when you get that fifteen minute film and like two minutes in, you're like, ooh, this is gonna be a this a is gonna watch. long haul. Yeah. But in the end, hey. They made a film and I didn't. That, well, so there that you go. Yet, yet, <laughs> yeah. Um, Nick, I'm just imagining my film. Go ahead. When you were a kid, um, <laughs> well, first of all, was art always there? And second of all, um, what did you draw when you were a kid? You, you draw monsters and gross things and scary things, horror-related things. Now, is that what you've always drawn? Yeah. Right on there. Uh, boy. Well, I'm concerned a, about uh, the boy, honey. I've got, uh, I've got older brothers and sisters. I'm the youngest of six. And, oh, wow. Um, one of my brothers was uh, uh, pursuing art pretty heavily, and he drew upon a lot of really interesting themes that I really liked. A lot of, like, you know, uh, brutal, uh, muscle-bound uh, monster-faced warriors with just these axes that were straight from Frazetta, and I was just like, oh, this is so good. And they had Frazetta posters in their room. And um, and I had another sister that did a lot of kind of fashion design-type illustration that was always... It was almost like doing character designs for the gods, almost, just the way she drew them. So it was a lot of fun, fun things that way, um, inspiring. I grew up very Catholic, so there was a lot of looking at, you know, 
things at church. It, when you're surrounded by the Stations of the Cross, where there's a man getting uh, tortured throughout mm-hmm. the entire room in stages, and like a, a, like a stop film animation, that that definitely has an effect on you. And and the and the end is the big uh, Gonzo uh, shot on the front of the church with a, a dead man hanging on a cross, you right. know, in shreds. Um, <laughs> It definitely uh, sinks in at some point, you know, about the brutality of human nature. Um, and then, uh, of course, you know, my mom and dad were always very encouraging of uh, pursuing so my art. Yeah. I hear that and, from so many that, people now that are artists yeah. that are like, you know, the common the commonality is mom and dad were really supportive. Right. Yeah, yeah. Any, anybody in our family who had, had a good interest or a passion, they were they definitely tried to do what they could to help foster it along, which is great. I mean, even for being conservative parents, they were... They were definitely, um, you know, they they would they would foster that, you know, as much as they could, and that that greatly helped. Um, did your siblings go on to do continue art, or they did other things? Um, one of them, my my brother, kind of took a break from art for quite a while, and I'm hoping to encourage him to to get his feet back into it. Another, my my sister that I was mentioning before, she's gotten into quilting, hmm. which sounds weird, but she does it in a way that's um, it, it's kind of beyond the pale. Uh, how much detail and and thought and layering goes into it, and she's been having her works hanging in galleries and and uh, and shops up in Alaska and, and selling them. So, bravo! Right on. That's cool. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. Were you a monster kid? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I could, I mean, growing up in Alaska and Ketchikan, Alaska, didn't always get the the. the the magazines that you wanted to get, but like you know, sometimes you get that cracked issue that always had all those black and white horror stills and mm-hmm. and the stupid, you know, lines that were on them. And but you always looked at them and wondered what that movie was or where it come from, and that that became kind of like, where do I find that? How do I, you know, how do I dig in? Um, Mad Magazine, of course, with all their artists, were a big influence um, from the get go. Um, if I heard you right, you said you were raised in Ketchikan. Yes, correct. So how much did that come into play? Like, I imagine you got long chunks of time where you can't go outside, so you're you're stuck in the house. Might as well draw, right? Why, that, couldn't, uh, why couldn't I go outside? Because well, it's cold. Is it <laughs> cold up there in Ketchikan? Yeah, I mean, it's not like upper upper Alaska. Hey, every, every, everything above Blaine, Washington, I figure is just, is, frozen. just frozen. frozen tundra. <laughs> it's like the planet Hoth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is, yeah. Um <laughs> No, I mean it's one of those things where like you know it got cold. It didn't didn't often get like below freezing. Um, I mean it did get super cold sometimes, but like it, it the area where I grew up it was like a rainforest, so it was often just wet. And so if it didn't, you've always, no, you've always lived in a creepy place. Yeah, you know, living on an isolated island uh, surrounded by deep waters because the narrows just go straight down. It's not like real beaches there; just it's like sheer rock mm-hmm. and. You, these and depths, which you fish from, and and then the uh, the mountain tops and the treetops are all mist and shrouded, and you know it definitely gives a good setting of mystery and, and uh, wonder. Dude, uh, you're all making the- me want to move. I mean, I live up here, but I, I- <laughs> I'm I'm still fawning over the use of the word abyssian. <laughs> I immediately went, "Woo!" That was a Tom swoon. There was a little uh, twitch, <laughs> a quiver. Oh man, it, it, it's always fun to go fishing in Alaska. I mean, just to pull up the weird stuff. I remember the first time a sister of mine and I pulled up. We were we would get dropped off, or like we'd go in pairs and you know do different things, and we were on a, a boat trip this cove and everyone went somewhere else and my sister and I went fishing in, in, in the cove and, and it was 
it was surprisingly deep just out of the mouth of the cove, and we uh, pulled up something that we'd never seen before. It was coughing. It was, it was short, and it looked like a shark, kind of. Um, and it was coughing. It had flat teeth and what looked like a human tongue, and the eyes were iridescent. Like, you'd look into them, and it looked like it was a plane of otherworldly, pearlescent existence. Like, it was like a whole other plane that went beyond its head. And um, it started to make this, um, for lack of a better way to describe it, it sounded like something attempting to mock a baby crying. And we were really freaked out by this thing because we thought, this is like, what is this thing? Like, is it part something and part human? Like, come to find out it's just a ratfish, which is a very common uh, bottom feeder and bane of the fishermen because they always tangle up the lines and, and whatnot. But these, these things have a very, um, uh, there, there's some very human qualities about them, not just in appearance, but sound as well. That was rather disturbing. <laughs> wow. And that fish today is Kevin Hart. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, well, so, so, run me by that. You going through school and stuff? Were you, were you a studious guy? Were you a geek? Were you an art geek? Were you a band geek? I was always, you know, drawing stuff and doing, doing, doing art, and I'd always get called upon to do the art portion of things with, with stuff involved in school, whether it was backdrops for plays or, you know, various things. I uh, I was always terrible at math. That's when I knew that I was uh, up to a long road against school. Right. <laughs> um, I did I did pretty decent in my other classes. I wasn't like an A student. I was more like a somewhere between a B minus and a C plus student. Yeah, why you know <laughs> overachievers? Yeah, yeah, right? why? Yeah. Fuck those guys. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think I used to always ask teachers, "What's the what's okay? What's the bare minimum I need to do to get <laughs> get through this?" <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. So, uh, was there a lot of, like, were you, were you drafted to do stuff for, like, the school paper and all that other stuff, or was it just too dark for that? Um, no, I didn't really have any interest in doing anything like that until I got into high school, and I, I uh, um, got into, like, the yearbook involved hmm. with, with doing that, because I just really wanted to kind of have hands-on with seeing how that all got put together, and even taking photos, and um, doing end paper illustrations and just learning about layout and typesetting and kind of the whole bit about just basically like publishing. Um, I found that really fun and fascinating and, and found the darkroom to be really fun too. Mm. Uh, just all, then that was back in the day when you had to like put a put the film into a bag and then like blindly transfer film. Sure. And, you know, and that was always like a magic trick. But uh, um, yeah, there was there's just a lot of um, a lot of hands on. And uh, I really like English quite a bit. I, I think I had some really good English teachers that mm-hmm. uh, that that turned me on to a lot of really good literature that sent me down the road of exploring interesting fiction. We, I think that started with um, Ambrose Bierce. I think we, there we, we, were doing a, we were doing a thing where we were watching a short film. We'd read, read the short story, and then we'd watch the short film that related to it. So, like we did, um, what was it, the, uh, the, the, the game? Where the, the rich man brings a a guy over to his island and then we oh, go most hunt. Dangerous most game. dangerous game. Most dangerous game, thank you. And then we did like the lottery, Shirley Jackson. There we go. Right. Fantastic story. That's and good maybe... stuff. That is good stuff. And there's a Twilight Zone episode done. It's a very strange episode because I don't know how much talking is involved in it. I think it might be silent. It's black and white, of course. It's got jazz music as a score, avant jazz. And it's got, um, it's, it's done by these new wave film 
directors, and it's an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge by Ambrose Bierce. And oh, it's, okay. great. Yeah. That's a great um, one. Yeah. yeah. That's and a so great it, film. It, it's a really unusual one. Um, and that captured me hard. Like, I was like, holy crap, that all happened within the blink of him hanging to death. Spoiler alert. Um, and <laughs> it, it just kind of resonated with me. I was like, I need to read more of this guy's stuff. And so yeah. I ran down to the mall after school. <laughs> so, what was it, Walden Books at the time? Right. And, um, yeah, I went through their shelves and didn't find what I needed, so started making friends with the, the order desk people and started ordering books. And finding right on. And what's great is beer sort of opens the door to things like August Durlis and... The the I'm big man in the, the big man in the room there is HPL yeah right yeah yep. I Dur- I love Durliff I, I was going to ask during high school when I, when you were kind of getting turned on to literature is that was that your first exposure to Lovecraft um Lovecraft may have even come a little bit later than high school sure mm. um yeah I was doing I did uh what was it the Daryl not Daryl but uh, um, it was Beers. Uh, there was Algernon Blackwood. I was I was yeah. picking up a lot of kind of uh, collect horror collections, and and kind of going through those to find the voices that I that I liked. Um, and after I graduated from high school and moved down to Seattle, I to pursue the Art Institute and whatever else. I was playing a lot of music at the time. I played guitar in a band called the Excreted Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, Go ahead. Oh, and uh, and yeah. So I, I that, and then I think through through. <laughs> this is a, a funny way of. I didn't come to Lovecraft like I may have read a Lovecraft story here and there, but it didn't really hit me until I saw uh, Reanimator. And sure. then I was like, okay, that was crazy. And then I saw the Beyond or From Beyond. And then at that point, I was like, okay, there's two films here with the name Lovecraft associated with them. Who is that? Like, why why am I right. not more this guy is because this is some crazy shit and it's really interesting and it's um, got a lot of really interesting themes and yeah so then I started to pursue and route that way and then it was like he wrote a small piece about his influences and I started to track down tons of other writers via yeah. that names beget names yes. beget names beget names yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's sad that the only two the films you mentioned were really like that's the pinnacle of the Lovecraft movies yeah um there there's been two movies released by the Lovecraft uh, historical society mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> one of them is Call of, uh, Call of Cthulhu and the other one is Whisperer in Darkness Okay, and both of those are, in in my opinion, um, great. Probably my favorite Lovecraft adaptations. Those are um, very literal and very to the to the literature. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. And the first one is like it's a silent film done in the era that it would be like if it showed during the time of the story that existed. Yeah, uh, exactly. So you get that flavor with the music and the the bad film cuts and the the text and then with the second one the whisper in darkness it was done as if it was an early universal horror film so then you started having some really interesting set building um i got to see a bunch of the the props and pieces at a lovecraft film festival in san pedro i think the first year they held it down there maybe the second year um and that was really fun to see a lot of the pieces from that film like the actual stage set background pieces that they would pan down uh, as if it was like you know in the, in the mountains of the Appalachians, where that story takes place, it was really cool. 
Um, and that that one, and they they actually added a whole action sequence at the end, which you know some people are like you know it was supposed to end here, but it's like yeah, but you know what? It's a movie, and it's got to keep your attention. Yeah. And, and literature can get away with, um, because the story, Whisper in Darkness, is 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 for the most part an exchange of letters, and you're reading account reaccounts mm-hmm. letters. So you've got to really take a little bit of a stretch to. Uh, Turn that into an interesting film of a man sitting there smoking a pipe and reading a letter. So, <laughs> about these, you know, in, insane things that are going on. Um, luckily, the letters play out like a, you know, like a, a, a good story. But at the the story just it does stop with with a moment that you should be like, I am shocked or like this is you know it's come to fruition. But um, for the sake of a film, you need to have you don't need to, but I mean, it helps and it, and staying in true with the era of, of the universal horror films, you've got to have kind of that grandiose ending fight, like battle mm-hmm. scene. Sure. Brings it all to a head. Um, more so. And I thought it was a good job kind of fleshing that out. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. I, I love both of those movies. Um, speaking of um, movies, do you find that uh, movies that you were a big fan of as a kid, or movies in general, have, have movies been any kind of an influence on your art oh most certainly yeah i mean like you know even like a lot of cartoons too growing up watching scooby-doo or thunder the barbarian or you know things like that those are always i was always it was like you know you a lot of kids would sit with the bowl of cereal and watch tv well i always had a pad of paper and a pencil with me as well it was like i was taking notes like drawing stuff and my mom saved a lot of my stuff like good mom yeah. And then she started to send it back to me in small increments, and I was oh, like, that's cool. In pieces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some of my early stuff was drawings where uh, the body didn't exist. It was a head with arms and legs coming out of the head, but they were like, you know, monstrous faces and, and stuff like that. And then there was always the, uh, well, it's got to have arms and legs. <laughs> so. Is there an HPL title that you would want to see made into a movie that, that they haven't done already? I have one. I just wondered if you guys did. Oh, I totally yeah. do. Go ahead, Nick. Um, no, you go. You go ahead because there's there's a few that could be fun. Um, I really want to see uh, a Dunwich horror as done right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dunwich done I mean, right. They made. There's your tagline. Yeah, done. <laughs> there, there was even like HBO, a follow. There was right. a second, there was a second Dunwich horror film, and it was like. Terrible. It was even worse than. It was worse than the Dean yeah. Stockwell one. Yeah, and, yeah. And I kind of enjoy the Dean Stockwell one, even if it's <laughs> so cheap. It's very Corman. It's like, you know, um, <laughs> at the end of the day, it has a lot of fun elements, but it's also missing some of the key elements too. Yeah. So, uh, and it's also it, it, that's one of those funny, uh, abnormal Lovecraftian stories too, where it's uh, that has like a, for all intents and purposes, a kind of a happy ending. The, the the investigators uh, win in the end. Right, like, a lot of Lovecraft stuff. It's usually yeah, the last. You're, you're doing the last madness. of the man losing his mind as he's. Yeah. You know, as he's trying to end what he's writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need to write this down before I completely lose my marbles. Or killed himself. Yeah, I uh, thing on the doorstep. Oh, that's a great story. I think it's a one of the greatest HPL stories I've I've read. Um, and I just, w- I think it would, could translate to film. It did, they'd have to pad it out a little bit. Right. Most yeah, of the stuff it, gets it's, kind and of it's it. a complex story because you you flip between, you know, it, there's a lot of uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for with the uh, carrying of someone's essence through other people's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of body hopping going on. Yeah, very much like The Visit or Grandma, Stephen King's Grandma, right. about wanting to put your body into someone else. Right. Or your your spirit into your spirit. somebody else's yeah. body. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of great plays on how that all that builds. It's a it that that story is like a definite like you know unpeeling of the onion kind of yeah. the, the the way the the story goes along. And maybe it's, that's it. Maybe it's that it it follows the sort of traditions of story better than some of the other stuff because a right. lot of the other stuff is really just like you say a guy in the room and man, a room slowly going man. How challenging would it be to film The Outsider and make it, would be it actually quite easy? You could even do that as a. There's a lot of introspection going on with the main character of the outside right, right. so you're seeing like so it could either be narrated or like as a over like it would it shouldn't be him talking it should be him thinking so it would be yeah. um dune Arrakis, desert planet <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> but i think visually it would be excellent because it's such a gothic tale uh-huh. um, like it would fe- like if you could capture right bernie writes in visuals like hard shadows and gothic you know settings like a hammer film but even lit harder mm-hmm. um i think you could really come away with something that was was quite effective um you, you brought up wrightson i'm wondering how I big of an impact just gonna ask yeah he had on you yeah yeah he's 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 the go-to reference on trying to solve problems for yeah, me he's the fucking man he is he is and his use of light and shadow is incredible and his uh the way he contorts bodies and his hand like he is the hand master like if people want to know how to draw hands they always say you know look at your own hand i'm like i would rather look at bernie rice's illustration right, 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 of hands. Right. so expressive and that's one of those things hands are hard to draw there's a lot of elements into it and you break it down into shapes it's like five tubes on a on a on a square mm-hmm. um but it's all jointed and articulated and and it does things that are so strange and so trying to capture it correctly can be a real challenge, and um, I, I, I had a challenge with it as well. And so it was like one of those things. Where it's like I'm just going to focus on hands for a while. Feet always need work too, but hands. <laughs> and I, I started to realize, you know, how expressive they can be. And 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 there's uh, I don't know if there's a term for it, but you know, like with say Sesame Street Muppets. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got the puppet head, and it's just a talking mouth, basically. It's a flapping mouth. There's really no expression, but the hands were always real, and that always captured my attention mm-hmm. because there was a lot of expression and emotion going on through the hands, or maybe not emotion, but more emotive um, qualities happening through the hands, and I always liked the element of the hands actually being real and the head being a puppet. Like that, that was a really cool cross-section of, of kind of getting an idea through, and... Um, that mixed with the idea of you know, being, being able to tell a story along with whatever else is happening in, in the image um, has it, always been something that's, that I've been more drawn to since I've gotten better at drawing them. <laughs> that's very, it's very cool, it, it, particularly with the Muppets that have a, an actual human hand. Sure, sure. Um, well, hands are how we interpret the world, right? right. Or we look that we see the world through our through hands. our hands. Yeah. I, I was going to say that even you know just that inexpressive flapping mouth of the head mm-hmm. um, is given a lot of character because again, what's inside of it, yeah. what's manipulating it, the it's, hand. It's Kermit's Blanche. It's all done with his <laughs> hand, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Whenever he pulls his <laughs> lips back, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Or when he's <laughs> but when somebody's wiggling him around, his, when his arms are sailing. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look but, at look at look at the Manamana Muppets. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. That was nothing, and it was, it was still expressive. Yeah. So I don't yep. want to shit all over the Muppets. I'm not real quick to do that. No. And it brings me back to Wrightson. Is, is you know you look at his like incredible illustrated Frankenstein. Mm. And Frankenstein often has a very similar expression because he's, you know, a recast as an alive, alive human through dead parts. Um, but he's always very dour looking. But then you look at his hands and the way he holds his body, like everything about his posture and everything about his hands, like tells so much. Even he could have the same dead eyed, you know, half lidded expression at the time. But the his posturing and his hands and his knuckles, everything tells so much. Like, you can tell when he's wary or when he's angry. The fists are taut. Oh, his... there's, there's the panel of him in the basement clutching the paper mm. yeah. holding yeah, yeah, himself. Yeah. It kills me every time. Yeah. yeah. It's just... No, it's got an emotional impact. It's, it's strong stuff. Huh. So, always good to reference the rights in. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. We, we did a big, long talk about him a couple yeah. weeks ago after he died. Yeah. Um... And I think more and more people are coming out and, and telling telling about what kind of an influence, like what a huge impact he right. had. I think you're going to see the same thing after the fact with people like Bill Sienkiewicz. Sure. You know, that kind of thing. Sure, sure, sure. I, I met Wrightson once, and it was uh, it, it was awkward for me because I didn't know what to say necessarily because was, it was at a Lovecraft Film Fest, and he was there with his wife. And I walked up and I was like, "Holy crap! Here's Wrightson, and there's no one else around." And I can just and like I didn't. I was like, "I love your work." He's like, "Thanks." And then his wife could see that I was kind of anxious and 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 wanting to say something more. And so she pointed out that you know he'd done a lot of work on film stuff, concept art. Yeah. Um, that we'll never see the light of day because of publishing rights and yada yada. And mm-hmm. so he was like, "Yeah, let me show you some of the stuff I've worked on." And so he he graciously walked me through like Ugh. his Spider-Man concept art that he Ugh. did. Um, wow. Stuff that he, yeah, just a ton of really cool film work that he'd done, and you know, a bunch of his werewolves, all original art sitting there that he's just paging through. And I'm just like getting a, you know, it, seeing the original art is is for me is uh, exciting because you can see the work that goes into it, and it's like yeah. you're you're the you go into reverse engineering mode of like, oh, okay, this is how he did that. Like it's not just you know, well, you can, what, what drives you me crazy is, is the how in the hell did they do that? Well, you know, what gets me is as you're looking it over, you're seeing not only the line work, but you're also seeing, like, the wide out and, and all the little... The all of that, yeah. That, yeah. ...that they fixed, and it didn't diminish the finished product at all. Yeah. Oh, so fascinating so to see where, where, they, where they were okay with, like, fixing something. Like, I've been, I've been trying to kind of put myself to the degree of, like, every line counts, and so I'm trying to not do as much or any correcting along my way. And um, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a self-discipline thing I've been trying to do more and more just to see um, if I can pull off a clean piece, you know, mm-hmm. as a presentation piece. But then at the same time, I always remember I love seeing all the mistakes. Yeah. So. I'm, just, I'm just imagining artists listening to this going like, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> so which, which brings up something else I want to ask you about, and that's your – Take kind of walk me through that. You 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 were talking about working on stuff without any mistakes or or what have you. So Nick sits down at a blank piece of paper. Is it is it penciled first? Is it is it um, conceptualized first in on napkins or do you kind I've, of? I've always got I've always got sketchbooks. 
Um, and even before I sit in front of a blank piece of paper, depending on, you know, if I'm doing a freelance thing or a book cover or whatnot, if I have an image in my head, I want to make sure that my perspectives are somewhat right so that when I distort them, they're distorted correctly, I guess, if you could say. Yeah. Um, and so I often will sit in front of a computer or a stack of books and find reference material. Um, I, the research part is kind of the part that I enjoy quite a bit because it gets me to look at all my my uh, coffee table sized art books. <laughs> you know, um, buy them, look at them, and then they're on the shelf. Um, and I, I try to force myself to to break their spine as often as possible. Um, and just do the research, you know, look up image searches, you know, on you know the computer and stuff. And then from there, I'll compose something through sketches. Um, and if I'm doing it for a client, I will often present either three to six ideas, and then from there, uh, we'll compromise and come to what they want. And then, uh, yeah, then it's sit down at the blank piece of paper and then go from there. I, I, I pencil it out, and then, if I'm again, if I'm working with somebody, uh, I send them the final pencils and say, do you have any other changes before we move forward? Because once I hit it with the inks, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's kind of dedicated. We can, we can still make some changes, but let's, let's try to get the obvious things you know, where we want them. So, How much does the computer come into play? Um, like, do you take well, the, finished, the finished piece into the computer to clean it up and to balance the tone a little? And Sure, sure. Yep, often I'll, I'll do that. And, and depending, too, I'll color in, in, the compu- on, in Photoshop, um, unless I'm doing more of like a painting-type style type of art. I'll usually offer, like, I'll show a couple of my styles that I can do, and then I'll be like, what, what do you want to see for the project? And for myself right now, I'm, I'm working on a, a number of pieces that I'm doing for a show coming up uh, uh, May 4th. And I'm kind of hopping around between styles. I've done some charcoal pieces. I've done some ink with some ink wash type stuff. And I'm doing some acrylic painting right now. And that's, that's the biggest struggle with the painting because that's something I... It's just I always feel like I'm... Uh, it, it's different when you, when you paint. Well, when I'm attempting to paint is to... Uh, you know, you're dealing more with less line work and more values of light and dark, and so it's um, it's more of a push and pull activity than it is uh, throwing down lines. You 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 have a very very uh, specific style that you are known for, um, which is a, a, a black and white um, brush and ink uh, technique, and it's mm-hmm. gorgeous. Do you wish you were more known for some of the other stuff that you can do? Uh, not necessarily. I guess it just depends on where it gets seen and, and how much of it I can produce. I can produce more black and white work than I can painting. So um, in terms of like the qu- quantity of work I've done, a lot of it has been a black and white work, and that's the stuff that a lot of people have seen probably more of. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to things like book covers or things that I'll do for, uh, you know, art shows and things like that, I'll, I'll usually try to push for more color stuff and and uh, kind of put more work into it as far as just wanting to add more depth and more, more uh, just keep the viewer's eye on board. Again, a lot of my black and white line ink work is also not very simple. I, I tend to detail it out a lot or make it very <laughs> complicated. The master of understatement. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also love but, the, uh, there's a funhouse mirror sometime aspect to some of your work where lines bend and it's very cool. 
Yeah, no, I definitely like crooked bent things. Like, <laughs> like where joints come together, like where uh, the, the shoulder joins the uh, chest and shoulder area, and I love the intersection of the chest muscle to the shoulder muscle. I like where joints happen. There's fun wrinkles that occur all the time, and as people age, it gets even weirder and more interesting, and um, those are areas that I get great joy in, in illustrating. <laughs> You know, two, um, two, two quick thoughts. Number one, I agree with you about that. The shoulder is, in my opinion, the sexiest part of a woman. Um, that underside here right there, Victor. Fucking <laughs> awesome. Um, the other thing is the name that I want to throw out there, because before we move on to from Wrightson, but he's very familiar in the same sort of neighborhood as William Stout. If, if we're oh, yeah. With yeah. Stout. Stout's the man. His, him and Bissett's uh, dinosaur books are just... Oh, they're crazy. Okay. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which brings me to my next question, and that is... Um, that's fun, too, Bissette. I love his mix of, of tight and loose line work. Like, that. Yeah. that's one of those things that that uh, when I see, like, say, Bissette, or another artist who I, I, I've been having a lot of affection for is uh, Jonathan Wayshack. Mm-hmm. Um, his work is a mix of tight and loose, and it's it reminds me to, to loosen up. Like, as much as, like... I do a lot of like you know specific line work. I always want to be like, how can I just make the line feel uh, fluid and, and still kinetic and and not you know over overworked looking like like it like it just happened you know like you look at um, like scarf or you look at uh, Stedman and you see like this expressive line work and and it's you know it may not be as detailed but it's it's expressive as hell and it has a lot of energy and that's yeah, some yeah. of the stuff that I get really excited about. I, I, I know a guy that used to finish his work and then he goes okay now I get to, I have to Stedman it up and he would just go in there and just throw stuff around yeah yeah it's just great um, yeah, I've, I've done that too and that's always it's always fun and it feels like you're kind of putting like a finishing like a cherry on top yeah. <laughs> and it's a little subversive you know like you're you're taking something that's perfectly serviceable and you're going to just put your fingers all over yeah, it to yeah. me it feels very naughty right yeah like, yeah I just, I just yeah. like made this really cool drawing or painting or whatever it is and and now I'm now I'm peeing on it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and well, in some it's, place it's, it's something that hopefully you know during during uh any kind of like art lesson or course or schooling uh that you've had any kind of if you've had any learning you've learned that you you know your art isn't precious. Like mm. that's right. one of the things I remember having a very harsh uh art teacher that was very um we you know we'd come in in the class and we'd put all our work up on the wall and he'd go through and silently or, or out loud, you know, praise it or debase it. And then mm-hmm. at times if it was terrible, he'd rip it in half or he'd chuck it, literally chuck it out the window and you'd be like, Holy fuck. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, and, yeah, and, but how much of how many gigs have you had like that where the person, no matter what you did, you're not going to satisfy him. And then when you did satisfy him, that was an achievement. You know, I, I get that kind of harsh taskmaster thing. I have, I have to admit, I sometimes I wish that clients I've worked with or editors or, or whatnot would be not necessarily more critical, but would be, would, would, you know, oftentimes they go to you because they like what you do. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, let me know any thoughts and ideas. I'm open to whatever, you know, I'm very like, I, we can work together. We can, I'm, you want to you be know. part of a collaborative process. I, I love that. I love collaborating, whether it be with music or art or, Whatever uh, you know, I wonder, if it's, I wonder if it's because the creation of art is such a solitary thing that yeah. you you we crave others to share our maybe our I think that's part of it. It's also inspiring to see what other people come up with out of you know it's, 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 
you know, out of nothing, something's created. So it's it's always fun to see where someone's idea or influence gets pulled and, in what direction and, and how it evolves. It's just a fun process to watch because it's also gratifying because you can see it evolve. And the beauty in collaboration is you're going to get the spin on the ball that you never would have thought of. But right. it makes it so much better. And as long as you're able to be discerning, you yeah. just don't just take everything. Well, when you're looking for a needle, I mean, the more eyes that you have, the right. better. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about. Uh, we've kind of hit on a lot of them. Favorite artists that really, when you hear they've got something new out or a new collection out or something like that, you get really excited. This is so listeners can do their own little research. Not on not necessarily your influences, but who you're a fan of. Yeah. Who am I a fan of? Holy smokes! Um, well, Jonathan Wayshack is a guy that I've mentioned. He does he's uh, he's done a little bit of comic work, um, but his artwork is just he works with all kinds of implements, uh, brush, uh, whether it be sumi or ink or. Um, nib or a bamboo stick like whatever and you see his work in person and it's you see all the his use of gouache and ink it's a back and forth play on getting the lights in the darks and it's just it's it's a lot of energy involved as much detail as he puts into his work it's a lot of fun um skinner is someone who i really enjoy i love his uh irreverence and his creative mania that he has um and as a person he's just a really intense Person and he's a really good, positive person to talk to and and listen to, and he's just always got a million ideas. And uh, the things he produces are really interesting and fun. And uh, he doesn't he doesn't uh, give two bones about what he's doing. He he knows what he likes and he, he does it. And um, there's an artist named Dave Carrera who I've really been enjoying. He uh, does a lot of uh, oils, and he does black and white work as well, and it's uh, very painterly, uh, a lot of uh, morphing of parts and skulls and things. Um, Cronenbergish, but also very stylish, um, and also a super nice guy. I met him at some conventions and uh, have had chances to hang out with him, and, and that's been uh, a, a, his artwork. I always look forward to seeing what, what's, what's happening next with him. Um, in the East Coast, there's an artist named Michael Bukowski. He's an illustrator. Uh, he does a lot of work in the weird fiction horror community mm-hmm. of publishing. His work is, he runs uh, Seventh Church Ministries, which is kind of the publishing thing that uh, he does. It basically creates art zines based on uh, literature, uh, often horror literature, or, or based on a certain writer's work. So last fall, we created the uh, a William Hope Hodgson tribute zine called the Outer the Outer Monstrosities, and so I William Hope Hodgson is a weird fiction writer, influence of Lovecraft. He uh, writes a lot of nautical horror, ghost ships, and stuff like that. But he also did this huge two part book called The Nightland, which was this sprawling world uh, where this warrior man was in pursuit of a woman who had gotten either taken away or he had to go find her in this land that's like always night and there's just these crazy creatures and these monolithic uh, titans and buildings that are just giant pyramids. Uh, and it, it's, it's a, it, he wrote it in such a weird writing style. It feels like some kind of old English and it's really hard to get through, but there's some really great gems of uh, visual ideas going on within it. 
Um, and his stories are often quite visual. So if, as, as an artist, an illustrator, it's fun to delve into some of these guys' works like his. And so we put, we put out a, a zine based on that. Um, I did about a dozen plus illustrations for it. And a centerfold piece that was kind of based on a story, a short story that William Hope Hodgson wrote called uh, Voice in the Night, which um, you might know a little bit better through a Toho film called Matango or Attack of the Mushroom. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and it was also done. We know all of a sudden. Whoa! That makes and there was, also, there was actually an old black and white film that was made before Matango based on A Voice in the Night, but it, the only copies anyone's seen in any time recently have been on YouTube, and they're so terrible quality, it's almost just black for a lot of it. Mm. Ghost images, and you think, oh, that would be kind of cool, but it's not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, I thought Begotten was that way. The, the, oh, yeah. It just was... Very dark and very hard to figure out what was going on. But, right. Um, but that was intentional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I, I realizing, um, of course, you know, art develops from when you're a particular age, and it and it changes, right? You go back and you look at pictures and go, "Oh my god!" Or you look at it and you go, "That wasn't that bad." Um, can you think of a particular piece? where you looked at it and finally believed what all these other people had been telling you. It was like, you draw really good. The piece that's, that either that established... Moment. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. aha moment. It, that, that you either that's developed your style or... Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I actually do. I. Uh, oh, my God. Um, it was when I was... I went, to the, I went to college at the Art Institute. It was a two-year degree in communications and uh it was mostly commercial stuff and i really wanted to kind of get into comics and and do work like that but the school was you know you're learning typography you're learning how to do gouache you're doing life drawing you're doing uh color separations on that orange litho sticky sticky stuff for right. like <laughs> doing so you're kind of hitting like a, oh an advertising that was like come up with you know 60 comps and then the next week you'd show your, your comps your little ideas and then it's like, okay, let's develop three of those and then come up with 60 comps for this. And the things that the guy would always tell us to do would be like washing machine. So the most like, mm. you know, beige oh. thing you could think of and you have to try to make it interesting. And it, it, all of a sudden you're exploring every shape of a rectangle you've ever attempted. You know, like... When, so, when I... Uh, but th there was a lot of good lessons in that and that I, it, it, pushed, it pushed me to like just you know, all the ideas count because you yeah. get all the bad ones out of the way, you get all the obvious ones out of the way, and then you start to actually explore deeper ideas. And you but, develop a well, bank that you can always go back to. Right. Yeah. It will. But, can... uh, but there was a, a guy that offered to do some comic book style illustration work after school. Um, and so I was interested in that. And he, um, his name was Dave Medan, I believe his name is. I, I might be saying that right. Um, he was a art developer for Sly... Uh, it's a video game about a raccoon or a fox or something that was like a thief sly. You guys know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> I have no, no. idea. <laughs> no. Uh, right. you, lose, you lose me at like Mario Kart. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I apologize on, on not having that correct. But anyway, yeah, he was, was really encouraging and was trying to get uh, anyone who was in attendance to try different tools. 
and that was where I um, learned the joys of the ink brush. And it was uh, the first time I'd used it. And he said, instead of just doing it with the rapidographs, which I hated and felt like I was constantly fighting, and they're just a mess. Um, I, I was not a fan of the rapidographs. Plus, they ate up the paper, and it was just ah, it was terrible. Um, he handed me this brush, and all of a sudden, it was like I was like it was like I I was I knew what I was doing. It was like, it was like this, it was like he put the right tool in my hand, and I was like, oh my god, okay, this is I'd like. And all of a sudden, I was like, Kirby, Jack Kirby. This is he used brushes. This is what he did. This is this is how he got line Bru- variation. This is brushes. how he was able to get these great just you know thick blacks and then fine fine hash marks and little lines and yeah. all from you know one or two style of brushes. And I was like. Kirby was all brushes and Zipatone. Yeah, yeah. And but remember Zipatone? I do not remember Zipatone. It was this stuff you would lay down and you have to rub on it. To oh my it. God! Yeah. <laughs> well, the first time that I went to college in the '80s was for this program called Commercial Graphics. It wasn't mm. even called Commercial Design. And he's right. They would like it would be like, okay, for tomorrow I want uh, 200 logos using your initials. Yeah. Wow. And then that would be one class. Well, you know what's weird is that I, I'm trying to imagine the Nick Gucker in a commercial art class. It just doesn't add up to me. And especially when you run it through the prism of AI, I just think you would be everything they would not want to have. <laughs> <laughs> not because it wasn't terrific stuff. It's it just, but it's not. It's not drawing washing machines, and it's not drawing you know compacts and that kind no, of thing. But- but, but there were things within each of those that I learned a great deal of. I, I, I learned about the print process. I learned about rendering type. I learned about uh, yeah. you know a lot of things that that later on, all of a sudden, when I start working on either actual projects or when I started to get handy with computers, all these terms and things were very familiar to me, and it wasn't like a big stretch of like I don't understand what all these terms mean. Everything was was there. So. Um, you know, and as far as like you know, like the advertising class and coming up with lots of ideas, that was one of those things where it was like it it it, it broke open something in you to not uh, to to stop you from feeling like you could fail to mm. some. It's like, like brainstorming, right? It's like you just throw as many ideas out, and you know you're not going to use yeah. them all. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. And, and when you start putting them out in front of you, you know, it, it yeah, it's just it's just so revealing. It and it's good to get those things out, and it's good to know that it, there's an infinite number of ideas. Like it's not just like I can only have one idea, and that oh, yeah. was it. it was well, like, sometimes, sometimes too, that that really good idea um, is only there because of ten the shitty ones. The sh- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I also think it also would teach you that you know how many people do you know? It's like I have this idea. For this film or this book or sure. this story, and they're so invested in that one idea that if something goes wrong and that one idea doesn't really come together the way they wanted it to, they're they're lost. Right. But the ability to know, like, I got plenty of ideas right. and I can spin this a thousand different ways, you know, is is got to be at first a pain in the ass, but I also think in the yeah. end it would be reassuring, trusting the parachute, you know, sure. trusting your ability yeah. to come up with something. I think that's what it was. It was just kind of being able to break break through the wall of of limitations and just know that you know you, you know eventually I will have a really good idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or 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 even going back to like you know you you do twenty thirty comps and you go back to your first one. You're like yeah I guess that was the best one. And but I went through the process anyway because you know maybe there was a better one. Or sometimes I sit there and I I'm working on something and I redraw resketch something the same over and over and after a while I'm like okay I guess that's what it is I, 
I'm attempting to come up with a different idea, but my hand keeps telling me this is the one you should be doing. Yeah. Um, I'm learning to trust that. Yeah, tough, and, you know? and what what comes through my hand and what I see in my head are also very different. That that that's that's an area that I can see a lot of people getting frustrated with because the vision that I have in my head it almost never looks like what comes out on paper. And you, for me, I've had you know you you have that internal compromise of like, well, this is what I can do, and I'd like to push myself further. What do I need to do to get myself to that point? Um, it, it doesn't happen all at once, and I'm still developing. Like it's it's very much slow stages <laughs> of you know learning different things or adding another technique to to the the, the quiver of things that you already use. Um, and it's it's trying to reach you know I guess the alchemist gold of your mind to be able to have that represented through your hand because the hand is like it's it's like taking this. This, it's an incredible tool, but it's also like this clunky thing that's not as eloquent as what your imagination is. So, <laughs> I always try to imagine the drawing looking like shit, like I was five and I drew it. And then that way, whatever I really do is always going to look good to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just refreshing because I, I, I am so plagued by self-doubt all the time. Right. Like I, I, will go, I can go over the same sentence 15 times and move it around and try to find the best language for it. And, uh, yeah, it's just never... Ultimately, you just run out of time. <laughs> I do. I do. Well, and like with, with art, like with writing, you know, as well, uh, sometimes the best thing to do is take a break and... Mm-hmm. Study and when I say study, I mean you know I don't know how many writers. I like, mean, get stoned. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's definitely part of it. Um, but delve a little deeper and just be like, okay, what what do I love and how do they do it? And so you try to recreate it. Mm-hmm. So you're basically redrawing, you know, a Bernie drawing or like some uh, Albert Durer etching or yeah. you know, ch- checking out Mike Mignola's work and saying, okay, let's get let's get. Uh, real chunky and, and get into some like really heavy shadowing and, and how do we do it? I'll, I'll just do his drawing. You know, those are things that almost never show. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering about that. Like, do artists do that? Do you, cause I know like in, in writer classes, I've had stuff like take a story and write it in the, in the voice of Hemingway. Do you guys, I, I mean, both I was going to ask that if writers do that, if they, they take on some other writer, like, you know, write in the style of Jim Thompson and just uh, as the lesson of trying to achieve the A voice. lot of people do. Mark Castle does it really good. He's got a great story in Book of the Dead called uh, Old Man and the Dead. Uh-huh. It's yeah. Old Man in the Sea via Hemingway, but it's right. about zombies, and it's great. I, artists do this all the time. Yeah. And sometimes but, sometimes in the beginning, they, you, you do it unintentionally. Oh, sure. It's like comics. Comics right, right. do. Oh, I really doing... like Frazetta, and, and you wind up drawing things that look like Frazetta yeah, for, yeah, for yeah, a yeah, while, yeah. and then... Well, I don't know, though. D- uh, Nick, would you agree that in, in Frazetta's case that there are some folks who never... never no, some some folks get bitten by Frazetta so hard they never escape it. Yeah. Boris Vallejo. Um, Boris Vallejo. Julie Bell is managing to break free of it, but it's mostly horses now and weird... <laughs> She, well, yeah, she had and some. It, it's fun. I mean, there was, there was all those, you know, there's a lot of the artists working around that time, like with, um, again, with Wrights and there was Jeff Jones, mm. who, oh, you know, yeah. Kaluta. transitioning transgender, but also um, the artwork that he, she created was really incredible. It's and you, know, you see it all the time, and you're like, now that I'm more familiar with Jeff Jones' work, I can, I can spot it so much easier now. And I can also say, 
you love Frazetta. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of that. Look, if you look at like in that in this in that book, the studio, you look at Michael Kluda's work. It's very Frazetta influenced. Right. And I'm interested because when you mention a lot of these names, I wasn't hearing the names that I normally hear. Names names like you know George Pratt or John J. Muth or, or even McKean or right. any of that other stuff. This was. It's very different with you, and it's it's interesting because some of these names I haven't heard, and I'm going to have to now go look them up. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. That studio book really was important. That is me. a very cool book. Just yeah. growing, and the idea that it was all done in a year or so, and it was just like, oh wow, this is the level. This is the level you need to operate at, right? Where you're just cranking stuff out, and it's all top quality. Nick, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, one of the issues for artists, whether they, they, they've just picked up something and learned on their own or whether they've gone to school, um, at some point have to start figuring out how do you charge? How do you get paid for art? <laughs> and and yeah. and most, how far do you shove the word exposure up someone's right. ass when they bring it to you? Well, <laughs> I, I often I often uh, retort with uh, people die from exposure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Gee, pricing is still tough. I still struggle with that. Um, as far as doing certain jobs, it's something that I've I've just reached out to other artists who I see doing consistent types of work that I would think that I'm kind of in in league with, or not necessarily at the same level, but like people that are producing things that I can approach. Um, and I'll, I'll ask and say, you know, if you don't mind me asking, you know, what, what, what's a fair price? What are people asking? What are going rates? Um, talking with publishers about that is, is fine, too, reaching out to editors and things like that. Um, pricing personal work, say stuff that's on display, I find to be a bit harder because I, I don't think about the time necessarily. It's kind of like how complex is it? How big is it? Like those are the things that I'm more like – value basing it on, on those kind of aspects which is which is actually which is actually really good because that's what the buyer is going to be looking at yeah, he they're not going to be thinking about Nick spent yeah 20, this is like 20, 20 hours, hours. Yeah. No, and, that, and that's like one of those questions sometimes you get asked as an artist is like uh, you know how long did that take him like god I don't I didn't sit down and just you know work 40 eight, years you know. <laughs> but some things some things you work on you get up you walk away you come back you set it aside on something you know there's no it's not often like a uh a, a continuous piece of work it, it's usually chopped up and you know maybe i should be like a, a chess player and like clocking all my time in that in a very you know punch in punch out kind of way on each piece and, and actually see like what the time is I know generally how much time. Well, I, I, I think. Say, well, I penciled this drawing up in one evening, maybe about three hours, um, and that's from you know uh, comps to a pencil drawing, and then going back in and refining the drawing and fixing it up, and then coming back in the next evening and then inking it, and then depending on you know how far I've decided I'm going to ink it, you know, do I just stick with the lines? Do I uh, embellish thoroughly? How much fun am I having with it? Um, and then and then you can you know, but that being said. If I've quoted somebody a price, I generally try to work within how much that is. Yeah, I think it's different. If it's commission work, you can haggle at the beginning when, right, before right. you take the gig. Right. But when it's when it's stacks of stuff that you're you know you're at a con or something selling, you know, I think even that would be a little liquid because you know when you got the little kid there looking at your stuff or the person there that loves your stuff but just doesn't have the cash for it. 
I'm sure deals get cut. There, there are you know? so many. There's yeah. so many different things that go into deciding something like that. I, I, I just remember how, how clueless we all were when I graduated from the, the Art Institute in Las Vegas, and how clueless we were. As I mean, you know, they, they, you know, you, you take classes like career development, but they don't really prepare you for important, pragmatic, simple things mm-hmm. like. How much should I charge? And how to say no. Yeah. Oh, that's the huge... Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Or, or even backing out during a project. That's a tough one, but it's yeah. something that you just have to do. Like, if someone is just irreconcilable or inconsolable, you just are like, I am. I think we're done here. Like, and it's better to pull that blade out early before you get <laughs> so far down the road that it's like, well, now I'm up against, you know, now you're affecting other people's deadlines. Right, so right. You try to give people enough maneuvering room to figure something yeah. else out. And, and I've had to be the person also, too, where, where someone was working with an artist and the artist just didn't follow up or follow through or get back to them and they'd already put down some money with them and sure. like, this thing, and so they've approached me and I'm like, oh, I even know that artist, too. Damn. Mm. To hear, but hey, I'm happy to pick up the slack. And how much shall we talk? And how how soon do you need it? That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's the other big thing. Be a little different. Yeah, <laughs> they're like he was supposed to turn it in last Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the ability to push back and just be like, I can't deliver Wednesday. I can deliver a week from Wednesday. You sure. know, and 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 realize it's all negotiation, and it's it's tough because they don't really talk about that. They don't talk about. No. You know, Again, you know, when I'm usually approached by somebody, when I when I give them a number that I'm, you know, throwing out a number, I'll follow it up with saying if this is always negotiable. Like, I don't want them to feel like, oh, it's too rich for my blood. I'm like, well, we can do less. We can take away some elements. We can do trade. Say, I've done things where I'm like, I'll take, you know, 50 bucks off if you give me 10 bucks. I'll sure. sell them cons, and if I sell them for 10 bucks a piece, I'm actually making more. So, you know, some of those, there's ways you can you can kind of play with, different budgets and, and, and that way. And also, too, you know, I've, I've done work where I've done more work for a project knowing that it was going to get some, you know, it was going to be seen by certain... Oh, people. sure. Have it seen, and so you're like, okay, I'm going to put 100%. Not that I don't put 100% into my stuff, but, like, I'm going to, like, really push this even though I'm not getting... I'm getting a fraction of what I'd normally get. Well, it, it falls into what I call board stuff. Where like, so, oh, you know what? A lot of people are going to see this, and more importantly, a lot of important people are going to see this. Right. So I'm not going to go. And it's not somebody telling you that you know that. Yeah, you know that. Yeah. Um, it was like, the, for example, yeah. back in '95, San Diego Comic Con, a friend of mine was doing the editing for their little program. Right. And he came to me and he goes, "I don't have any money, but I need you to write a piece on Bram Stoker. It's going to go in the program of." The- the comic-con thing and i i did that willingly for free because sure. there's that intangible reward everyone that went to comic-con got a copy of that thing right and um so that was worth it to me now if there's someone who who you know i got this website that no one's going to see and i want you to write x y and z it's like man i can't do that yeah. <laughs> no. i can't yeah. even remotely do that can you say fuck because <laughs> if you can i can't do that yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> But those are those that's that skill set that only time, man. And they never teach you in art school how to how to amuse yourself at a booth at a con for ten hours no, a day. That, that's the great thing with you know. There's a lot of things I love and, and loathe about conventions, but the, the networking and the communicating with other people that are you know creatives, 
uh, whether it be writing or doing art or doing makeup or whatever, is, is talking about, you know, how you've dealt with, with people in the past, how you handle scenarios and, and, you know, what are you getting these days? And, you know, pe- you know if people are open about it. And, so you get uh, to talk shop. Yeah, yeah. Like when I've gone to Bizarro Con down in uh, Oregon, um, Alan Clark is always there, and he's such a wealth of information. Like, and he's he's you know, he's such a nice guy. He's an amazing artist. He's been doing you know thirty plus years in the industry, doing covers from sci-fi to horror to now Bizarro and 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 on in his own books that he's writing. Um, and his uh, his process is is crazy, and but his execute but the end result is just always surreal and and amazing and. Um, he has so much experience with so many different things. He's continually revealing things that I should know at, at the times that I need to know them. Like he's like this, uh, like he's like he's a literal sage. Like, like an <laughs> so, oracle. Like That's it, cool. it always, I'm always, like he'll approach me and be like, "Hey, let's go have lunch," and then we'll start talking. And then he starts bringing up something. I'm like, you know what? That was such a vague or un realized area of what I've been doing that you just filled in the blank for. I really, you know, he. He he's a he's an amazing person, and those are the things that you know that I've come to value more than anything. It's like, oh, I didn't sell a whole lot of art, but I just gained like this nugget that's gonna bring me you know ten years of satisfaction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and it's those little moments. I remember uh, uh, I was doing a panel at a con, and Savini walked by, and he points to the my first book, and he goes, "What is that?" Or you can have this, mm-hmm. and those are the things where. Yeah. How many how many dimes in your life do you think? How do I get this into that guy's hand? Right. And there it is. It's just boom right there. No, they they they've they've actually taken the moment to stop and look at it, or you know, have yeah, any 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 time you can capture attention. That's because mm-hmm. uh, you never know. No, and especially with art. I mean, you know, writing. I think it's a harder sell. Like if you've yeah. got a book, you actually have to plug the book. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. If you've got a kick-ass cover, that helps. But if you've got to sit there and, and kind of give a, you know, ten to thirty second blurb on the book, you've got to sell it. Yeah. And the person deciding, do I want to spend the hours on that book? Sure, sure. With, I feel like it's a little harder, but people that are willing to listen often are interested anyway. Well, it's so like I, I say, it's like with art and music, you can show it to someone immediately, and immediately they they know I like it, I don't like it, or whatever. With a writer, yeah. it's like here's a hundred thousand words. See you in a month. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I'll hear back, and maybe at the end of the month you'll go, yeah, it was okay. It's like, oh. Yep. That's, you know, that's the best yeah. um, one, one thing I, you know, that I learned was uh, the average person, you know, looks at art for, you know, no more than, say, like, between 10 and 15 seconds. Yeah. And that was one of those things that I was like, I thought about that. It, it kind of stuck with me, and I was like, how long do I look at stuff? Like it started to make me think about it, and I'm like, okay, I, 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 being someone who does art, I tend to look at things a little harder. Like it takes me longer to get through a comic book than probably most people, sure. because I'm doing more than just reading, you know, the word bubbles. I'm like looking at how it flows. I'm looking at the, you know, all the different techniques that they've used, or you know, oh, they actually hand wrote all the explosion sounds. It's not just you know, whatever. So I'm trying to, I, it's 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 a it's a curse. So. And and part of the you know that's one of those things where it's like I don't know if it's subconscious but I think you know I, I've had people say man your work is so detailed I have to look at it for a while to kind of get what it is sometimes and in the back of my mind I'm like score <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was the intended purpose but I like that you're looking at it longer than you thought you would <laughs> yeah that's awesome that's cool one of the things about cons is though is that it's uh, 
it's uh, it's so time consuming. I mean, you're you go to cons a lot, a lot more than I do, and and so you've got to what? Walk me through that a little bit. You you've got to roll in, getting there, accommodations, food, table, and yep. do you do you is a good con when you make your your money back, or and is a great con when you make a little for your pocket? Um, a great. It's always going to be a great con when I've made more than my table. Yeah, like that's. I mean, it's. It, I've I've only had a few where I've made table, and I was been like, hmm, that was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also you know a ton of different factors. You know, no people showed up at the con. It's a first year con. I should have known better. Or you know, <laughs> or uh, sometimes I'll share a table with a couple of my buddies, Lance and Max. And, you know, I, den- I tend to not make as much because it's a divided attention mm-hmm. scenario. And, but at the same time, I have a way lot more fun because we're just goofing off the whole time. And, sure, you're hanging with your buddies. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it makes the con a much more fun experience for sure. Um, oftentimes, if my wife joins me, that's a lot of fun too. And it's good to have someone to hang out with. And, your you wife know, who rocks. She's going to awesome. say that. Thank you kindly. Like wife. Um, Cat is always a joy. Yeah, Cat. I don't think Cat. We're we're going to get to Crypticon, but I don't think Cat's coming to Crypticon this year. Uh, yeah. I think she's had just about enough of Crypticon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um. So, speaking of that, you're going to be. We're all going to be at Crypticon in two weeks. Yeah. Oh my God. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. A little yeah. under two weeks now. That's a good time. It is a good time. How long I'm, have you been I'm, doing I'm, it? I'm excited to see how it's going to have. Uh, in the new location and you know how the flow is going to go and uh got a stellar stellar some stellar guest lineups yeah. so i'm pretty excited for this year um i've done some artwork for the show um right and how many years have you been doing it uh 2009 was the first year first year was 2008 and then i learned about it and uh went to some of the meetings and and offered my services and started doing some design work for them and then started doing, you know, like the t-shirt designs and some poster designs pretty much every year after that mm-hmm. for the convention. And I was a board, you know, you know quote-unquote board member, uh, but I've backed away from that in the last couple of years just because I've got more pressing things to do than volunteer time for a convention where um, right. it can eat up a lot of your time if you allow it to. Well, there's so, <laughs> so much, there's so much, like there's so many cats to herd. There right. That's that biggest thing about conventioning and you know having gotten having been in the behind the scenes and you know had a lot of you know good times with that it's also a lot of struggles and a lot of a lot of mm-hmm. problem solving and um you know eventually it all is for the better of, of the you know making it for a better convention um but there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of road bumps and and things along the way and it's, it's fun and it's interesting but it's also one of those things where it's like this is also a lot of my energy and yeah as, yeah more art was picking up for me in the freelance side of things, it was becoming harder and harder for me to just kind of, you know, at, at one point I was like, you know, extremely dedicated to that being the thing that I wanted to have as part of, you know, my, my output. Um, but now it's not as much uh, as important to me. Just, you know, I know so many people there. It's, it's, it, it's, it's doing its thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, um, and I'm, I'm more excited about showing up and, and doing my thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But cons in general have changed ever since even when I started doing them. Well, when I started doing them, geez, San Diego Comic-Con was nothing. Uh, this would have been like 90, 
well, with the first cons we went to were like 86, 87 with the kids and stuff. Um, but now it's this whole thing where, you know, back in the day, the thought of charging for an autograph was unthinkable. And now, you know, right. you, you cut to today where there, there are now packages that well, you don't get to meet Elvira unless you pay, you know, right. for access. Well, I mean, to be honest, it's like a lot of things when they first start, um, you know, the, the thing practically costs nothing. But then as, uh, as, as it's shown that there's an audience and mm -hmm. people who are willing to pay money, um, that's always going to happen. And so, uh, some people, you know, signed for, oh, I, I was going to say case in point. Um, I remember in the eighties, a few years before I actually got to start training in, in JKD college, mm -hmm. I remember seeing a, a seminar with Danny Nasanto at the Fred Degerberg Academy in Chicago, 20 bucks for the weekend, $20 for the weekend. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard when, and I, and I don't, I don't want to, and now I think we talked about this with Hart on our Hart Fisher episode, but um, it's a revenue stream for a lot of these actors. And I just, yeah. I don't know about the, the, uh, the longevity of it because ultimately you get there on the back of artists and vendors and the vendors just aren't making their money back these days because everyone's been having you know paying for access to get their picture taken with thor or whatever right um well, there's also a, a glut of conventions happening yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right it's kind yeah. Of like embarrassment of riches like it's it's awesome that it's available to a lot more people in different places but now people aren't maybe not traveling as much to go to these special mm -hmm. conventions and these there's a lot of people that are going to a lot of the same conventions and so the availability is much more broad um, right and, uh, and, and it's not and i think that it's it's a combination of good and bad it depends if you're trying to make money if you're trying to if you're going there as a vendor or you're going there as a congoer yeah. so you know, there's, there's a lot of different balances to weigh out with that kind of stuff. the great thing about crypticon is 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 not only the scheduling and the guests and the dealer's room but the bar because right. the bar, you run into everyone that everyone's paying for access to. Right. You find them at the bar later in the night. And you get far more interesting And you stories. get far, <laughs> far more interesting yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember William Forsythe at a bar once that was out of control. <laughs> but it's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. I won't story. share here, but it was but awesome. It, well, it's a great story. It's a great memory for you. Mm -hmm. And you never know. Someday it may show up in something. And the fun thing with... with you know, genre conventions versus, say, comic conventions, you, you definitely have a much uh, more focused network of people mm -hmm. that are interested in something that's not so broad as, say, what you see at the comic conventions. With with certain horror conventions, there's def definitely a much more, uh, you know, it's a genre thing, so it's it's going to be uh, way more focused, and, you know, there's the, the community's tighter. Yeah, and, right. And that, that networking tends to be more interesting, and, and usually you can meet all the guests that are there because they're at their table hanging out or walking around. Or you run into them like in the hallway or whatever. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. A certain time and a certain allotted amount of money, like everyone has an opportunity to meet them, you know. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah. That, that's also kind of a fun thing. There's oftentimes the access to that kind of scenario. And that was, again, one of those things that got me interested in wanting to be a part of a convention is to, you know, some of the behind the scenes, you know, workings, but also too is, you know, to be a part of the, the, the thing that welcomes these guests, I thought mm -hmm. was kind of fun and, and had, a, had a, a certain amount of honor to it that I think was interesting. 
well, it's cool to meet these people and, and you realize, oh, this is a gig. This is just a guy and it's a gig. You know, and it, it helps sort of normalize yeah. Hollywood and filmmaking and all that other stuff. And you realize, like, this is just a guy and just like I'm a guy and why can't I do the same thing? Uh-huh. Um, I and think that's really important. Just, and hopefully there, there'll be a, a, a cool moment. You know, you always hope that there's going to be that thing where, like, oh, yeah, we just, you know, there was maybe a connection or something or, like, like what was it uh having having been asked last minute uh because the person who is going to be doing the interview with Don Coscarelli and four other cast members of Phantasm for the 30 year anniversary wasn't able to do it and then someone tapped me and said hey you want to interview them I was like uh, yes I've never done this but sure let's do it and it was yeah. it was nerve-wracking and I actually botched right out the gate I I froze um introducing Coscarelli and the, the team and after I got through all their names I I I kind of froze and Don stepped in and was totally like, so this is our 30 year anniversary and <laughs> and he kind of picked up the slack and totally my shoulders just totally relaxed. I was like, God, thank you. And then what he, a pro. Yeah, no, it was it was it was and it was you know I'm sure everyone could see me up there just like you know holy crap. And then he was just like walked. He it was it was like having the like your favorite uncle put his arm around you, just be like, what's going on, buddy? Like it yeah, it totally like huge ease happened. Um, and then he did a cool thing where he uh, called um, Angus Scrim, and so we had a, a, a extra fifth guest, and that was pretty awesome too. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's great. Uh, um, uh, a weird opportunity like that, and then the the rest of the convention, you know, I you know they'd say hi to me, and you know it was like you know they reached out and like, hey, what's going on, blah blah blah, and wanted to chat, and I was like, this is really cool. And then you get the even the, the great moments when you like you're at your table and you look up and someone's got your your shit in their hand, you know, and right. it's Lance Henderson, and you're like, right. oh yeah. shit, yeah, this is Lance Henderson looking at my stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's cool. got to be great. Yeah, that's got to be great. Um, so you're, we're all doing Crypticon. That's going to be awesome. And um, what else are you working on? That is there anything you can talk about or? Oh yeah, um, I have, well I've got another convention the week before this this coming weekend uh, going to Long Beach for the Stoker Con. Um, I'm just going. Are you a member of the HWA? You basically are every time you go to any one of their conventions because you have to pay the fee. Fuckers. <laughs> 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 pay the fee, and you go to the convention. Um, I'm going with my friend Nikki Gerlane. She's a writer, uh, and she writes some really amazing weird stuff. And she's written a book that I've done a bunch of illustrations and a cover for called Machine Gun Vacation, and it's not out yet. But it's, it's a great definitely. title. It is a great title. Uh, we're going in tandem to uh, help kind of promote that, and uh, um, I'm going to be on a panel talking about music, which is kind of interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I think it's, I think the idea behind it is talking about, you know, what, what do you... Because it, it's primarily a writer's convention, but they always have artists and guests. Sure. And so, you know, what, what do you listen to while you work, kind of? What helps influence get you in the mood or you know whatever it is. it'll be interesting to, to have see where that discussion goes but uh uh george R. R. martin's going to be one of their like big guests there and it's on the queen mary the oh, cool. That'd be cool. long beach so it'll, it'll be fun and it's a good okay. great way to, to network you know there's going to be publishers and editors and, and writers there that you know some i'll know and some I'll, I'll you know need to need to know so <laughs> nick you've, you've mentioned music twice during the podcast uh one are you a musician and two um, how important is music to uh, what you do? Um, yes to both, extremely. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I play 
played guitar and I've, I've played in bands for years. Um, that was the whole reason I moved from Alaska to Seattle was, you know, not just art school, but I was like, you know, I want to, I want to be, I want to do rock and roll mm. and, and more specifically punk rock and roll. Um, and, you know, had some really <coughs> played for a number of years, but after a while I, it was it's tough to continue to herd the cats and, 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 uh, and rely on other people. And as you grow older, you, you know, Things things get more expensive, and you, you end up getting married and getting a house, and it's like, yeah, I probably, you know, depending if if this isn't making me money, it's kind of an expensive hobby, and it takes a lot of time. And um, at some point, it was like, yeah, maybe I need to focus on the art because that's something I can do, and it can actually produce some money for me, and it's something that I'm extremely passionate about. It's not like I wasn't passionate about the music, but there's just so many uh, elements that you can't control. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I went from from playing music to to doing the art more, more so. Uh, but it's always been important. I always enjoy doing it. And, and again, it's one of those things that I like because it's collaborative. Um, and performing is always a joy, and it's just a rush, and it's just yeah, it's a ton of fun. And I've got to play, uh, open up for and play with some of my favorite musicians like Helios Creed of Chrome did a little mini couple day tour around Jimi Jimmy Hendrix's birthday in the Northwest. And that was an incredible experience. And mm. um, having got an opportunity to play at CBGB's um, and tour around the U S played South by Southwest. Um, Look at you. And yeah, so there was this, a number of things toured down the West coast and over to, to Chicago a number of times. And um yeah, always always fun. Touring, I think, is a, a, a blast. It's like a road trip with a purpose, and it's just there's always trouble around every corner, and it's just kind of there's this tentative like successes and misses constantly happening, and it's just it's exciting. <laughs> um, what is your? You said punk rock, but what specifically are the some of the stuff you listen to? Like when you when you work. When I work, geez, when I work, there's a lot of different stuff. You know, I'll. I'll um, am I looking at here in my stack of stuff? Uh, a band called Bomb. Okay. Uh, they were around probably in the, in the 90s and the, maybe the early 2000s, up through the 90s. Um, oh, geez. Uh, there's one band I've been listening to a bunch, which I've been enjoying. They're instrumental called, I'm probably going to say the name wrong because it's printed backwards on their CD. Um, <laughs> I know, right? Thanks for making this easy on me. Uh, Hodolo, a Luke Tadolo. Okay. Um, and it sounds like it, it's, you know, guitar, bass, drum scenario going on, but it sounds like when you're doing a transitional kind of crescendo within a song, but it starts that way hmm. and it keeps building. So it's like this kind of this raising level of intensity that kind of just mutates and, and changes form. Um, and it's riveting. <laughs> so it, it, it feels me fire. Firewise, um, I'm always a fan of Can. The oh, band. really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I remember when I was introduced to Can, and it was like, it's I'd, like what? Lanny Gray and Pink, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And listening to a lot of different music, you know, listening to say like like you know Dead Kennedys, and then John Zorn, and then like, um, you know, lots of Death Rock and Forty Five Grave, and uh, and then all of a sudden, I hear Can, and I'm like. And also, I'm a, I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan, and yeah. it seems this band bridged the gap to what you might call alternative underground music. Like it, like took classic rock 
things or like more standard rock things and and added a lot of experimental elements and things that were just unusual and interesting and it was kind of this missing link of of where it, it, it's kind of like what happened between the knights and then the western the you know the the right. you know American West like what, what was that weird transitional in between point where like they move from armor to leather chaps like you know for music that was kind of can was like for me kind of that that uh, kingpin that helped make sense of a lot of other music. Yeah, there was a lot of that like Euro prog that was just yeah this standing between like old school rock and roll and and on one side and then you had all the alternative sort of punk stuff happening later in like 79 but like 72 74 it's amazing stuff you got to love got to love 20 minute songs <laughs> well, <laughs> i don't i can't if i'm you know when i'm sitting here doing artwork it's it's way less time that i have to go out a cd or a record <laughs> do, you, do you find yourself choosing music to um uh to towards what you're working on like for example when i was working on clown town i was listening to nothing but old school jazz because it helped me sort of get the vibe down um i know artists that can paint to anything but i'm just wondering if like like do you do that do you go like we're gonna go super dark so we're you know we're gonna get some i should send a noi button or yeah that's it's almost more like before i start what's my mood there you go and then it's like, am I, am I, how much do I need to concentrate? Like during my research portion of my work, I don't listen to any music because mm. I'm not just looking at images, but also reading a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So even though none of that's going to show up, I'll go down rabbit holes and, and love the journey. <laughs> you know, when you're exploring stuff and trying to figure things out and you're like, oh, I didn't know that. What's that all about? And you take these tangents and then you come back and you're like, okay, yeah. great. It's weird how, how music becomes an important part of the process whenever you're doing an artistic endeavor that isn't music. Sure. Um, like for me, like if I'm doing really intricate, you know, stipple work, just lot, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dots, I like something like Earth. Mm. Like these just yeah. long power doom metal chords. Sure, sure, sure. And you yeah, just yeah. kind of zone out. But if I'm doing anything that's color, then it's, you know, then it's my creepy country or 80s synth pop <laughs> stuff. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> Me, it's uh, creation. It's music without words. And then if I edit something, it's music without words. But when I input it, it's music with words. Just sure. because. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because it's, it's just. Syntax. Yeah, the idea is that. Because so often it will be like I'll be writing something and then the open door and then in the land of the ice and snow and it's oh shit I'm I'm typing just <laughs> right. the lyrics I'm hearing um, or you think you know a, a battle axe would be good in this love story right. it's like no 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 old <laughs> souls yeah 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 but um uh but the input yeah. inputting is is just a matter of taking what's on the page that you've edited and then you put it in. It's sure. just anything can work. Yeah, and soundtrack music works really well. Yeah. Too. I really love soundtrack stuff. Um, uh, recent artist I've been listening to a bunch is, uh, I'm probably going to say his name wrong, Johan Johansson. He's the guy that, uh, if, if you don't know his name, he's a 4AD recording artist. Oh, yeah. Just did the uh, soundtrack for the movie Arrival, a fantastic science fiction film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just saw him on Thursday performing at the Benaroya Hall, um, 
and it was really fantastic. I was it was a surprise invite to a show. Someone a friend of mine, Adam Barnes, he he's a lawyer, but he's so huge into a lot of like you know film and uh, books. He's he's the other half of Perilous Press with Cody Goodfellow, which is kind of a very loose okay company. Man, can we just say? Can I just sidebar? Cody Goodfellow, what a I, monster! I know what and a he, fucking monster that guy is. I, I every time I read something of his, I feel like I'm I'm someone's dosed me with acid and then yeah. shoved some kind of thesaurus into my head at the same time. Uh, or not thesaurus, uh, encyclopedia, because you, you get like an education, you get throttled, and then you're just like, uh, I, need, I need to stand up. See, so. I, love, I love artists who you don't feel exactly safe with. And yeah. I think Cody is that way. Cody, sometimes Cody really wants to hurt you. And really wants to just reach in your brain and sort of scramble it up. Right. And uh, man, just and, he and, he frightens me. And there are times when I've had books in my hand and I go, I want to buy this, but I know I'm going to have to walk it off for like two <laughs> two weeks. He's so good, and so many people don't sing that guy's praises. And, and if you're into roller coasters, his reading him is is like that. And like yes, a, you know what I mean. Like it's it's a fun read. Like his his, his use of prose and syntax and stuff is it's expressive as hell and depending yeah, on doing a more uh same mood piece versus something that's way more detail oriented you get he's he doesn't compromise like cause he's like he's very much like this what you're going to get mm-hmm. buckle in, in a weird way he kind of reminds me of scow in that sure. way okay i you can know? do that yeah scow's another one who you just aren't safe with and he's awesome for it. In a, in a completely different way, I think the same is true as uh, of uh, Polanyi. Yeah. 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 He, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. You never know where exactly it's going to go, and sometimes it goes nowhere. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes it goes where you're like, but, but within, Gate. yeah, but within maybe the trip to nowhere, you 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 get a bunch of like really brutal truths or yeah. like really uh, in, intense examination of things that you're like, wow, I didn't realize I was going to go that far in there, and. I'm kind of thankful I did. <laughs> Plonic always strikes me as a, like, every book is an experiment. Right. And it's like, whatever worked last time, let's not do that. Let's try something completely different. But it's still the same voice, so, yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've, I've roomed with Cody on a number of conventions, um, and he inevitably always has a stack of books, and it's always the most unusual collection of stuff that he's, like, slash reading research. You, you just point to one and like, what's that all about? And all of a sudden, two hours later, um, you know, you're like, wow, I had no idea that was history. <laughs> yeah, and he's funny as fuck too. That guy, oh, quick wit. Yeah, yeah. I've never <laughs> been around him where it wasn't just laughing, just because it's like, man, this guy is just whip smart and super fast. Yeah. And he types like that too. Like I've been in the room when he's been having to finish something for like the Cthulhu prayer breakfast and he's like, Oh, I've got revisions, I need to make some changes, I need to blah blah blah. I'll go to sleep, I'll be hearing him type and his typing is like BAP like he's got this finishing smack on the end of every sentence and it's it's very like it's very distinct. And you're like Yeah, that's awesome. I could walk into a room and just hear him typing and know that he's there. That's hilarious. So you were telling us a little about um what you were working on. Oh, right, right, right. So, um, let's see, between StokerCon, I've got a show with uh, two other gals, Cassie Murphy and Genevieve. Ooh, might need to edit this. 
<laughs> uh, Genevieve St. Charles Monet. Uh, okay. And each of us have a very distinct uh, style, but I think they'll also be complementary. Um, there's a certain uh, organic drippiness to all of our work that I think will will flow well. Um, and that's going to be at the Pioneer Square Saloon. We all partake of the drunk, and the drunk is a drink and draw that happens every Wednesday at the Pioneer Square Oh, that's Square very Saloon. cool. Yeah. And there's an artist, Casey Weldon, who's put this on. And it's all levels. You know, there's people that are successful full-time artists to people that just want to show up and, and sketch in their sketchbook. Some people just show up and just drink. So mm. um, it's a fun gathering. It's a good thing. And it, it, there's been this uh, good community around it. And Casey started to curate the Drink and Draw bar itself as a gallery. So that's where this show's happening. Wow. May 4th. And uh, there's been other gallery opportunities as well through this. So it's been uh, we just did a 99 bottle show that happened at the True Love Gallery. Um, and, and it was like these uh, wood wood panels that were cut out in the shape of a bottle, and everyone could get a couple of them or however many they wanted, and painted or did some art on them. And the pieces that didn't sell have now traveled to Las Vegas to a tattoo shop slash gallery. So, oh, that's cool. Very cool. Yeah, they fun. could never do that with writers, like a drink <laughs> and write. It would just be people hammered. Just drunk drinking. I, well, I was gonna say with writers, how would you know the difference? <laughs> right, right. Uh, hey. I, well, I also do another drink and draw too called Dune. That's just once a month. It's every fourth, third Tuesday at the Cafe Racer in U District, and that's it's the idea behind that is everyone shows up, does a piece of art or does a comic, like a one-page thing, turns it in with you know three or four bucks, and then when you come back the next month, you've got a zine. So you've got this product of that evening. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. And that's been going on for about three or four years now, and that's that's a lot of fun as well. Because not only do you get something in return for your efforts, uh, your stuff is you know amongst this other uh, rogues gallery of art. Um, and there's a lot of art, a lot of uh, uh, comic book artists that go there. So it's fun to to see what they're working on, developing, or you know things that they're working on, or throw into that book, and then all of a sudden you show, see a de- more developed piece later on show up in their actual zines or comics. and It's a lot of fun. It's, and it's, again, it's a lot of people trying to figure out ideas and, and work out concepts, and there's a lot of out loud, out loud thinking, and so it's a lot of fun. Sounds like your time. Very cool. Why are you there? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I work all day. I know, right? Um, I was going to ask, um, in addition to the cons that you have coming up, is there any place where people can go online to check out your work where you may or may not sell things? This is your your moment yeah. in the sun, sir. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few places. I've got nickthehat.com, which is, for all intents and purposes, my website. It's a it's a blog. Um, I also have an Etsy store underneath the hat as well, where I sell prints. And uh, I have a new enamel pin that I've just done of the one-eyed pyramid tentacle thing, the which I call the uh, cosmic paradigm dweller. Um, and I just the other day started up a threadless t-shirt uh, artist shop. So, Very smart. Oh, nice. Yeah. That is really smart, I dude. Do some full color artwork throwing up onto shirts that people can choose, pick and choose. So, and I keep, you know, I, I have a few T-shirt designs that I bring to shows, um, and I always get the thing of like, you know, do you have specifically more for from women, you know, like fitted shirts or like a V-neck? And I'm like, uh, it's, it's tough to do at conventions because you have only so much stuff you can bring. Yeah. Unless it's local, you can bring everything, but like when you're flying, it's limited. So. Um, this is a great way to so people can choose their own adventure and and uh, pick and choose what they want. So 
That's and awesome. It's, 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 uh, it's been fun to explore and learn how this whole thing works, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So those are a couple places you can find online uh, from my stuff. Right on. Very right cool. on. Well, I have a feeling that we could keep talking about like this for hours. Absolutely. <coughs> but, so, but, but damn it, we have, we have news. We have news. <laughs> All right, let's get to the news. We so know this is why people turn in. Yeah, right, yeah, right, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, real quickly, just a couple of deaths this week. Number one, Cuba Gooding Sr. Right. Cuba Gooding Jr.'s da- dad, yeah. daughter, dad. Here's the thing a lot of people don't know about Cuba Gooding Sr. He was the, one of the lead vocalists for the main ingredient. Oh, wow. Soul band of the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um, and then yesterday, Erin Moran, um, Joni from um, Happy, Happy Days, Days. Uh, she was found in her trailer park home. Only 58. 50. 56, I think. 56? Because I, I, I remember thinking, man, she's younger than me. Yeah. Uh, right, today they were announcing that they suspect it's a heroin overdose, oh. which is too bad. I guess she had fallen on some hard times. I was doing a lot of co- conventions and stuff like that. Right. And, um, it's hard for It's actors. tough. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for anybody, but in, in particular. Well, I think it's doubly hard for a child actor, and it's yeah. triply hard for a female child actor. Sure. Um, it's yeah. like the hot chick that isn't hot anymore. Right. You know, what Hollywood doesn't want to know about you. And that's um, always... About cut-off dates to the It Girl, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. listen, I just I was reading a thing recently. Renee Russo, who was huge, um, mm-hmm. and then it was overnight. She turned fifty, and that was the end of that. No one right. started booking her. She was getting a lot of like, "You're the mother of the." Right. So. Um, so that's so you know. It's interesting when you see actors. You know, actually, this happens more toward to uh, actresses, but. Uh, who are able to make the transition? Mm-hmm. It's like the band that, like, when when that moment in the in the sun is kind of gone away for them, they they wiggle and they they figure another way out. Yeah, sure, another way out. Yeah, And it's you know, hopefully you can reinvent yourself or or have a good agent or hopefully you've got a distinctive acting voice that it's it carries through, you know, across age. Well, hopefully, <laughs> there's someone in your organization that's there that'll tell you when you're looking silly. Right. And well, you, there's a lot of people that don't have that person, and I'm talking to you, Madonna. <laughs> I guess, man. What's that? Surrounded by yes, man. Yeah, it's just someone not stopping you and saying, you know, like like I just said, Madonna, Madonna, listen, you're, you're a woman of a certain age, and you shouldn't be putting a grill in, like fake silver teeth in your mouth. You should... Yeah, yeah pride, but you know. they always counter with, you know, it's, it's an artistic expression, and, you know... Sure. You're the old guy at the club, right? Exactly. Right now, you're trying to you're mouth kissing Drake, and he's <laughs> and he's wiping his face off. Not not like that was hot. More like it's like Frenching your grandmother. Yeah, someone get me a wet nap. A <laughs> uh, couple of days ago, they announced uh, X Files renewed for season eleven. Okay, yeah. you don't care. Uh, you know, X Files was one of those weird things that. Um, actually did pay a little attention to when it was actually happening mm-hmm. and I quickly developed like a favorite you know there's two types of episodes on the X-Files sure one is the monster of the week and the other is part of this bigger conspiracy yeah and uh, I was always a fan of the monster, monster of the week, of the week. so as it, it went on it got more complicated and, and the and the story became more involved with all the behind the scenes stuff and mm-hmm. the, you know the men in black oh what do you what did you think about the five-episode reboot thing they did? 
See, I didn't. I didn't. Want I liked the first one. I've gotten to where I. And then it just fit. got kind of silly. It was, it was a weird mixed bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, For, like, see, it wasn't like it wasn't like this is the best of what we can deliver. It's like here's a potpourri. Yeah. Of what the X Files could be now, and it's kind of like, well, you started off with a two episode storyline that was kind of a huge storyline that I thought was going to carry through everything else, and then it just stopped. Mm-hmm. And then it was like monster of the week for the last three episodes and i was like this why would you why would you to me it felt like they they kind of missed an opportunity to really bring in a a next generation of fans yeah and to elevate it to something something else um for my money the previous fans i think they should have been doing is bringing in the whole new fans on this whole new level of conspiracy you know i think if you're if you if you've never seen x-files and you need to see x-files i think you need to see home the episode called Home. Right. Uh, uh, an episode called Clive Bruckman's Final Repose with Peter Boyle. That's fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you need to watch the first season of Millennium. Because that, <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Millennium was great. Millennium I, was great. And I then they even show. fucked that up. Yeah. 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 Um, Ian McShane, in a recent interview for American Gods, said that a script has been delivered to HBO for uh, a Deadwood movie. That'd be cool. Yeah, it would be cool. If Heather was here, she'd be going bananas she'd right be, now. Yeah. Um, were you a fan of Deadwood, Nick? Is that the one that was... Was that the Western one? Yeah, the Old West one. What was the one that was the circus one? Uh, Carnival. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're... Like, I, some, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> Sorry, Riley loves I, some Carnival. Yeah, I do. I, I got into some Deadwood, but it didn't It didn't capture me as much as, 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 the, as our... The Deadwood did not capture me as much as the Carnival. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying they're they're the same thing by any means, but as far, if you're going to do a historical period piece, I'm going to follow the circus. Right, right, <laughs> right. Because it's yeah, because there's so much more there to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Michael Shannon and Michael B. Jordan for HBO again are doing Fahrenheit 451. I'm down, especially in in, in this political climate. Sure. I I it, I mean the the original movie is great, but it's so very British. European, yeah, yeah it's so British. British. And, and so I think uh, American audiences would benefit, even though normally I get pissed off when people do that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a, you know, it's Bradbury. Anytime we right. can get Bradbury back onto the screen, I'm, I'm stoked about it. Sure. I had heard for a while that they were going to do an illustrated man film, another illustrated man film. And man, I'd be that, down that, that first one's weird. Yeah. Man. That's, a, that's, a that's got some movie. of my favorite fiction in there. Uh, the, the Outer <laughs> Space one. And the belt. Halloween tree action. What's that? Mine's some Halloween tree type action or some yeah, of the yeah, yeah. Oh. October Country or oh, okay. yeah. Oh. Uh, let's see. Yeah, just keep Tim Burton away from it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think Tim Burton. Yeah. The last I heard, he's doing Dumbo <laughs> with Will Smith. It's like not Will yeah. Smith. Um, Eva Green is involved. Right. Um, uh, I think you're right. I think. Well, no, Will Smith was, was, but then he he got smart oh, and failed. Oh, good. Yeah. Good for him. Uh, I read t- this week that uh, coming to the BBC, China Mielville's The City in the City. Ch- anything by China Mielville is great. Yeah. Um, he's a British writer. I've, I've only read yep. one. Have you read him, Nick? I've read a little bit of him, but not enough to be like fully vetted on, on him. But um, I would be curious. I, I, I like the idea of what the city... It's that it's that floating city, right? I want to say yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it. I love him in the same way I love like Damon. It's like he's he's a product of British education, right. and you can tell in his use of the language. Yeah, it's just great. Um, I have a bunch of release dates. I'm gonna get to in a second. Uh, there's a Brett today. I found a brand new Kate Bush record. Um, got released a couple of days ago. It's uh, it's a live record. It's mostly latter days Kate Bush stuff. Ariel, Hounds of Love, Red Shoes kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, I've listened to about half of it. It's three discs, and you know I'm a big Kate fan anyway, so I'm right there. It's way better than the live EP they, they re- she released back in the '80s. Cool. Um, and then I read <coughs> Amazon Prime Japan is bringing a, a series called Tokyo Vampire Hotel to <laughs> to its its streaming. Sure. And what's interesting about it, it's it's being um, directed and sort of shepherded by Science Sono, who did XD, he did uh, Strange Circus. Um, one of my favorite filmmakers because he's so over the top and so crazy. I can't imagine what he's going to do on a on a episodic TV. Cool. <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> Fast and the Furious franchise is pivoting to focus on The Rock and Jason Statham. Okay. The series is supposed to stop at when it reaches its tenth film. Wow. I'm waiting for a Pirates of the Caribbean crossover. With Fast and the Furious? <laughs> right on. Or, well, I mean, I could see them doing it with Transformers. Well, like we said last week, Transformers, Michael Bay says that he's got 14 more movies in the pipe. Oh, my God. Including a Bumblebee solo movie. Right. And that one's going to be directed by... Uh, You're not kidding, are you? No. Oh, no. Uh, no, this is... <laughs> no. This is the portion of the show where I say stuff that sounds like I'm lying, but I'm not. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, watch a garbage heap move around. Yeah. I don't understand any of it. And as I said on this show many times, I don't understand why the the last one was two hours and 45 minutes long. Oh. Obviously, Mr. Bay has a very big story to tell. <laughs> yeah. He's been mining all the 1980s cartoons. He's been, yeah. Oh. Um, Clint the, uh, the Victoria's Secret must not be paying enough. Right. Right. <laughs> um, Clint Eastwood is doing a film based on the three soldiers who stopped the terrorist attack on the attack on the French train. The guy got on; he was going to start oh, shooting yeah. people. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I, that. Sure, okay. I don't know how you how you get a whole ninety minute, hundred and twenty minute movie out, but sure. And uh, before I get I'll to probably do a lot of exposition on on people like getting up in the morning with their daily routines. Yeah, and a lot of hand on hip. Exposition, yeah. Sure. Let me tell you about what my thing is. Um, and this is a story that you can find out on the web. It's just it's so awesome. And I don't, I haven't seen Rogue One. Have you? No. Have you, Nick? Yes. Okay. So a Jin Urso, a little girl, was at this con. Right. Dressed as Jin Urso, and she spent the entire Star Wars celebration walking around and finding Princess Leia's. And handing them this this little, like a transparent <laughs> little plastic thing, like a card right. that right. her dad had made, like printed out, uh-huh. and they were supposed it was supposedly like the data card for the Death Star. Right, Death Star plans. Yeah, come on, yeah. that's how awesome. Do you, how do you not just go? That's fucking awesome. Yeah, that is cool. That's one of those fan things, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. I and we're we're talking, um, Nick. You know Tina, right? Tina Fisher. 
think so. Do you know her? She's a big cosplayer up up in Seattle, down in Seattle, or what have you. Anyway, we're gonna have her on pretty soon about cosplay, right? Because it's it's a subject that really fascinates me, but I know nothing about it. And it's really easy to sort of go, eh, you know, like get it. There's there's a lot of amazing stuff being made out there. Yeah. So um, and then go ahead, Nick. A lot a lot of work put into these amazing costumes. Yeah, I just saw a. Uh, like Sarathon, anytime that's oh, going. Oh man! Just walk downtown. You're like, did I just walk into like some anime? This is amazing. I yeah. just saw uh, some mech thing where a girl had these wings that moved and they right. lit up and smoked. It was just amazing. Yeah. And then there was that uh, New York Comic Con. There was a guy in a Hulkbuster. Um, yeah, thing. huge. It was huge, like seven feet tall. Right. So wow. yeah. Uh, and then they released a bunch of release dates for a bunch of films coming up. And some of these I just don't understand. I do understand, but I don't understand. So, Avatar. There's going to be more Avatars. Right. Avatar 2 will be released in December of 2020. Right. Avatar 3. <laughs> what's that? I still think they're going to lose the entire generation that saw the first. Well, it gets worse. Avatar 3, December 17th, 2021. Then they take a three-year break. How old is Cameron? I know, right? <laughs> December 20th, 2024, Avatar 4. And then December 19th, 2025, Avatar 5. I'm going to say it now. They're not going to get past Avatar 2 or 3. Because it's exactly what you said, Nick. It's like the audience has moved on. The technology isn't so special anymore. Right. Let's face it. Avatar was kind of dumb. Look cool. Right. Be a good drug movie. It made a lot of money, though. Made a lot of money. It also cost a lot of money. Yeah. He built a whole built a whole studio just to yeah. be able to, to support it. Um, were you a fan of that that film, Nick? Um, I there there were things about it I liked. Like yeah. I wouldn't mind having some uh, part of my body I could connect to another thing mm-hmm. and communicate with it. It's kind of weirdly erotic and also interesting as far as like a communication mode. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's all. Yeah. No, I, I thought that <laughs> I thought the uh, the, uh, the 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 taming of the flying dragon thing was a kind of a cool scene, yeah, very cool. and there yeah. were great moments yep. to it. I agree. Um, there's a, un, a director's cut of it, some bouncing around that's got some earlier it's stuff. Got some, yeah, that's it's, pretty it's, cool. It's a longer. Let's see. Version and it's pretty cool. Uh, nice if they if they gave a nod to the artist who did all those um, uh, Asia. Roger um, Dean, yeah, because yeah. uh, he lost that he lost that court case, but I mean, like oh. anybody who's not blind clearly right. sees oh. the. It's oh, right there. It yeah, is. yeah, yeah. They're they're just now finishing up. I want to say it's in Disney World or you know, some amusement park, Avatar Land, where you go there right. and you you get to get see to the, sit in the coffin and then pretend you're. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and you get the whole thing. You even get to tame a dragon and all that. That's stuff. cool. Um, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to talk more about. Is it, it going to be a virtual thing or is it going to be a? It, no, it's one. It's almost it, what I saw was you. It's like it's a small world. You're sitting in a boat and you're kind of you're going, going through. through. Wow, Pandora. Um, I guess at the Star Wars celebration, they, they talked a lot about um, Star Wars land and Disneyland, and, and some of that looks very, very cool, very mm-hmm. immersive. I'll tell you what, if they want to take it to the next level, add smell. Right? Right. Remember uh, uh, John Waters' polyester? Yeah. yeah. It had that little scratch <laughs> and sniff card? Yeah. 
And then they also, I think it's so gnarly. Yeah, I know. I, I still, somewhere around here, I still have one of those Scratch and Sniff cards from when I saw it. It also reminds me of, remember Sensorama in a Kentucky Fried Movie? Yes. With a guy <laughs> sitting there and the dude stands behind him and he's rubbing his head and all this other stuff? Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, sure. Avatar? Yeah, okay. Anyway. Um, Shane Black's Predator got moved back from February of 2018 to August. And that never is a good sign. Mm, yeah. So it might mean that he needs more time with the effects stuff. Which yeah. is usually It'll be interesting to see what they're doing, because I've heard nothing. Yeah, about... I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, I like Shane Black. I like his Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, man, I love that movie. I'm not a huge Predator fan. Really? Yeah. I would think that that would be so up your uh, alley, dude. I'm going to I'm gonna go I out like, on a limb. I'm, I'm, I'm holding face, but it's also, it's a human that hunts. Yeah. And it doesn't feel right. like it's to me. It feels like it's very, like it's following a very like earthbound construct. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a way of saying it's more universal than just Earth. But at the same time, it also makes it less mysterious. Right. Right. He's a it's a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, whereas something like the xenomorph is. It's an animal. It's an animal, <laughs> and it's a weird-looking animal. It is yeah, an you're still trying to figure out its biology, like what right. it can yeah. and cannot do. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's just me. I, you know. It always remember, Predator always reminded me of uh, something we talked about earlier. It was the most dangerous game right. in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Sort of intergalactic. Um, and, and in the Who Cares department, <laughs> Maze Runner The Death Cure got moved back. So I guess they're doing another Mirror movie. Okay. It's a YA thing. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm shocked at how popular YA is. Uh, I mean, I know there's a lot of people I'm out there. By it, I think what's more interesting, I guess, is the fact that it's also post-apocalyptic. Yeah, that's a very interesting avenue of where people's minds are at, interest-wise. Um, and I wonder how much of the political stuff has to do with that. You know, it's feeding some of that. Well, it's like when after the election, sales of 984 went through the roof. I think oh. that I, I think that we're seeing a, 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 something in response to two different worlds. I think a while ago, uh, things were looking pretty rosy, at least to certain people. Mm-hmm. And so, what do you do when things are really good? You you go dark in your mm-hmm. in your art you, because you want you want something contrast you feel you know you, you feel like there isn't something with teeth then when things go bad politically or whatever the cultural climate is then you're dark just in response to the things that are going on around you and it's your only way to kind of fight that so in other words go dark yes <laughs> when in doubt yeah, yeah right. I'm, I'm thinking of a little chart where it says this question oh then yes go back to yes <laughs> Well, instead of tomato, tomato, it's dystopia or utopia. Right. <laughs> They're all going to crumble, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know Kenneth Branagh is doing Murder on the Orient Express. I didn't until just the other day. And it's it's one of those, it's just like the last one. Lots yeah. of actors, lots of stars, lots of whatever. Yeah. Um, and it got moved, it's still going to be in November, but it got moved up two weeks. Hmm. So, let's see what else. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence spy thriller called Red Sparrow. Don't know anything about it. it it's been delayed severely till 2018. Uh-huh. Steven Spielberg is doing a film, presumably they the, the post, some Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep movie. Um, and that's coming out in January. Uh, the Kid Who Would Be King in September of 2018 widows i don't know what that is in november of 2018 and they finally christmas day 2018 
there's a uh, Queen biopic coming out called Bohemian Rhapsody with the guy from um, Mr. Robot as Freddie Mercury. Oh, wow. interesting choice. Very cool. Yeah. Well, at first it was going to be Borat. Yeah. And then they just couldn't that come. That would totally work. Yeah, it would uh, work. Physically, right? it would. Yeah. And I didn't believe that up until the time that I saw. That he was backing out. Sweeney Todd. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I saw him doing Sweeney Todd, I go, oh, okay. He could do this. Yeah. He could totally do this. Um, yeah, he's versatile. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, let's see. Not a lot of trailers this week, just a couple. We all saw them, correct? Yeah. Uh, Enter the Warrior's Gate. Is that, Did we already see this with Jackie Chan? Yeah. The Forbidden Kingdom or mm-hmm. something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, as a 13-year-old, I think it would be fun. I think I saw it uh, in something called The Last Art Fighter. Right. Mm-hmm. There's the other one with the... Um, Dungeons and Dragons. What was the one? Uh, Ronnie... Uh, it, it was the kangaroo one, where the kid went to the magical world and all of the characters were martial oh, arts oh, kangaroos. Oh, Warriors of Virtue. Yes. It reminded oh, me of that. Yeah. That's a trippy movie. That's a great movie. Yeah. It's silly. Looks like there'll be some, you know, some interesting action sequences, possibly, but it just looks overblown. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I, I, I call it a CGI spill. <laughs> Clean up on aisle five. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, the Beguiled. Uh, I love the first one. Yeah, I love the first movie so much. So it's hard for me to get behind a remake. However, what they've shown... Looks what, rapey. This is a remake? Yeah. yeah. It's oh. the, the original had Clint Eastwood in it and Glen, oh. Glynis O'Connor. Oh, man. It's a oh. it's a wonderful movie. That's yeah, great. Early seventies. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess they they picking uh, who's it Colin Farrell mm-hmm. for it. I I would like to see him get his just rewards. Just, he's just a, kind of a he, he's very smug and smarmy often. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> in other words, you're looking forward to the ending of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas the first one, I felt bad. Well, I just think it's also. I mean, you've got. One of the Fannings in there. You got Nicole Kidman. You got Kirsten Dunst. Right. And, 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 and also all actresses who we haven't seen as readily as as we have in the past. So it'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What we get with them in this kind of uh, lineup. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't. I just when I mentioned her name, um, I just saw a music video today that Kristen Dunst did with Mick G directing, the guy who really? did Charlie's Angels. Uh-huh. And it's a version of the Vapors turning Japanese. She's singing? Wow. Yeah, and it's oh. horrible. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting you to say it's awesome. Oh, no, it's horrible. Oh. It's 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 like, well, first of all, she clearly doesn't understand what the song's about. Right. And she's walking around through, like, Shinjuku, you know, oh. in, in an anime outfit. And, oh. Um, but the Beguiled... It's- yeah, I'm in. Uh, yep. I'll, I'll see it. I, I'm gonna I'm, if I like it, I'll I'll you know I'll forgive it the same way that I did True Grit. <laughs> begrudgingly. Yeah, begrudgingly. Begrudgingly, yeah. begrudgingly. <laughs> um, let's see. Little Hours. Man, I have no idea what this is about, but it looks super goofy and fun. Uh, I, um, to me, it looks really really funny for about 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a great SNL skit. Yeah. What'd yeah. you think, Nick? A uh, very mixed bag. There's some fun actors slash actors in it, and the whole premise is is kind of ridiculously fun. Um, but it also feels like 
Monty Python probably already did this better. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think once you get past the cussing nuns, yeah. you're kind of on thin ice. That's that's the joke, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah once they reveal the reverence of the nuns, then you're kind of like, oh, well, this is, yeah. Right, and you're right when you go, oh, look, it's Kate Micucci as one of the nuns, and right. then she's gone. So I think it'll be a, a terrific, oh, hey, this is on. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Until something better happens. Sure. Um, American Assassin, didn't we just see this with Kingsman? Again, yeah. it looks. It's not. I'm happy to see Michael Keaton doing something. There was some fun knife stuff, very much like the Hunted. I I I, I did oh. like the training sequence stuff, but I found myself partway through the trailer, wishing because you could see where it was going to go. Right, they showing you this little bit of the story in the trailer, and he's out for revenge, and now there's some org, government organization talking to him. You know exactly where it's going to go, and I was just thinking to myself, I would love to just see. Just, just show me the revenge movie. Mm-hmm. No, no government. Maybe they're trying to get him, and he just ignores them and just goes and does yeah. his thing. Because instead, it's going to get all complicated, and they're going to be like, "No, you can't go get him." We, you know, how soon be- before he becomes right? Well, yeah. they kinda, it seemed like they framed it like Keaton was also the target at one point. Like, mm. like, so who knows? Maybe it's a a switcheroo. I'm but I it, the 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 main character kid, he was uh he's kind of a slapstick sidekick in the uh, Teen Wolf T V series. Oh wow. Seen oh, a couple of It frightens me that you know that. <laughs> <laughs> and so and he's an endearing character, so it'll be interesting to see if he uh this is a very opposite role for him as being very serious and mm-hmm. injured, so um I'd be curious to see how it just grown it's, it's more of the John Wickization of cinema. Like, everyone sure. now is a hotshot with a gun, this atomic blonde thing that's coming out with Charlie's Theron. Right. Everyone's that way. And then finally, uh, Score, the music. It's that called Score, great. a film music documentary. It looks great. Yeah, I'm excited I, about it. Yeah, that should be really tasty. I think it's nice that you can... It's, it's everything we've been talking about. It's getting behind... Well, tell me about when you did this. It reminds me of, uh, you know, there's a documentary called The Cutting Edge, which is about film editing, Mm -hmm. and another one called Visions of Light, which is about cinematography, and it reminds me of those type of documentaries, and I just, it's like pouring chocolate on me. It's like, (laughs) show me more documentaries about filmmaking, please. Yeah. And all this, the process from the pros, it would be fascinating. Hey, uh, Nick, did you you see the the Netflix series um, Abstract? No. It's so each week they spotlight a designer of a different um, different media or, or or a different type of designer, and I found for like for inspiration, like when I'm working on something, and I just put it on and I just listen to it. It's it's great. They talk to they talk to the guy who made um, uh, who designed shoes for Nike. They talk to a few illustrators. They talk to like stage design people. A guy who designs cars, and it's wonderful to hear all these different ideas about design. Sorry, sidebar. It's a, a show series or like a. It's a it's a series. It's a Netflix an original Netflix series. It's on streaming. It's called Abstract: The Art of Design. I'll check it out. So you bookmark that. Yeah. Uh, as far as so that uh, as far as what we've been watching, Nick, what have you been watching, man? Um, I finally cracked open the Takeshi Miike's um, Yakuza Apocalypse. Yeah. That was nuts. That you can always expect something um, to surprise you in, in any of his films, even on his worst films, because he does make some stinkers. But sure. 
especially somebody with his vast catalog. Uh, this was such a weird tribute to the Yakuza culture, which he is fascinated with and always includes actual Yakuza people in his films. Um, it's a vampire movie, and it's a weird one. And um, it it gets... It's, it is pure Takeshi Miike. That's all I can say. It's yeah. just... You think it's one thing, and then it's something else, and then it just escalates into um, just ridiculous proportions, um, and it's fun. <laughs> we we talked about it on our uh, we did a Miyake episode, and it's just like I'm just struck by the diversity. Sure, like you can do anything. anything. I mean, did you uh, have you seen the Shinju? What is it? Shinjuku Triad Society. There's Three films. Oh, I haven't seen that one. No. Ley lines. There's a, there's two more. They're okay. They're they're one of those ones I think that it were done kind of on a weekend. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of them. It's like, hey, I got like 15 black suits and some sunglasses and yeah. some guns and some warehouses. Let's go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I um, love the just, guy. Um, something I watched recently as well as a, a documentary that's out now called Kete. K-E-T-I. It's a documentary about cats in Istanbul. <laughs> wow. A lot of people really sing the praises of this film. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well, I've been to Istanbul, so I was excited to revisit it in the in that aspect, just because it's, it's an incredibly beautiful city with amazing people. The Viewing it through the eyes of the cats and the poignancy behind the people's relationships to certain cats and you know, one man talks about how this cat saved his life, um, and so in return now feeds strays. Um, there's just a lot of really interesting kind of universal truths that revealed throughout it, and it's uh, the end of the film makes you feel quite hopeful for humanity through this film, and it's uh, it's it's well done. It's beautiful. I did not see that one coming. Mm. Yeah, but it's uh, now I have to look that shit up. Yeah. <laughs> it's done its run at the at the Pickford. Already. Oh, is that the Pickford? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it'll be coming to DVD. The Void just left the Pickford too. I Did think. it really? Yeah. Did you see it? No. Not yet. Uh, yeah. Have you? What have you seen? I, I, want, I want to see it. I've been hearing a lot of mixed reviews about it and how uh, derivative it is. But the things that it's derivative of are things that I totally love. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling I'm going to really enjoy it, uh, based on what both the bad reviews and the good reviews have said. <laughs> Yeah, right on. I think it, it sounds like. Is it, is that it, Nick? Uh, I've been oddly, I've been watching a number of uh, anime series. Oh, I, I haven't done for years and years, and now that Netflix has just been loading them up, I've been like, maybe I'll explore Death Note. I've actually never explored that, and it's um, it's not what I expected. Right. Uh, it's it's definitely like one of those like everything is urgent and and every step is like. Of drastic proportions, and it's a, it's a very tightly wound um, cat and mouse, which I was not expecting. And it's a, it's 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 well written. Hmm. Cool. Uh, have you seen? Uh, I'm gonna fuck the name up. Mushishi. Yes, I have that written down. Dude, oh my god, so good. That is like, that's so zen. I felt like such an asshole sitting here watching. It's a little half hour show. Right. Openly weeping. Yeah, no, it's, it's very just, atmospheric. It's very emotional. It's. I described it's, it as kind of like a Zen. Each story is like a Cohen. It's this little tiny thing sure. that you just sort of watch and consider, and it's just. And it, what seems consequential 
weighs heavy. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. And there's uh, so much like genre in it, mixed yeah. with folklore and everything else. It's great. The idea is that there's these little, like almost like microbe symbiotic things that exist in the world, mm-hmm. and at some point they they may attach themselves to a human, or some human will be involved, or it will affect a human in some way. Some way, and like they can't sleep, or right. or what? Right. It seems you know. kind of innocuous, but it leads to worse things. And there's this guy that's in a white suit with white hair. He has like one eye, right? Yeah. We don't know. His hair over his... They never show. Around. Do you know that there's a... There's he a, wanders around and it's kind of like this... He's like the coal shack of like the rural mountain yeah. of Japan. Kind of like the Hulk. <laughs> he just wanders around and, and fixes stuff. Um, Forever supposedly alone. There's a uh, there's a live action uh, film based on it. And um, I haven't seen it. I don't hear good things about it. They, everyone always says the anime is better. So. The, anime, the anime has this, 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 this quality that just is instantly... Uh, alluring and calming, and it just makes you. It's it's a. Uh, it feels it's very deep, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's uh, and it was refreshing. That's what yeah. I have to say about it. I felt very refreshed by it. I was like, wow, this was unexpected, and I'm glad. And it's just it. people talking. It's no mechs. It's no, you know, apple seed. There's right. not shit exploding. Um, what do you? Um, I went to a drag show last night. A drag queen show. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I was yeah, thinking yeah. like, like a but drag race. You went to a drag race? Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that'd be fun. That was, it was fun. It was town? a good time. Uh, no, it was in Mount Vernon. It's put on by the Rainbow Alliance a College to raise money for LGBTQ um, folk there uh, at the college. It was it was cool. It was exactly what you expected it to be. Sure. There's a lot of raunch, a lot of lot of laughs. It was a couple share songs. It was a good time. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. There's a, there's a little tiny Filipino restaurant down mm-hmm. in Linwood, Washington, I want right. to say, that on weekends, every night at 7, they just sort of move, move tables aside and they put on their drag show there. Oh, it's that's great. crazy. It's great. Um, another, sorry to interrupt, but there's a Last month in my neighborhood, there's an old folks home that does drag queen bingo with the with drag queens, and there's uh, Elvis impersonator that did like the warm up act, and uh-huh. it's like on bingo. And they so cool. Theme, so it was superhero theme. So there oh, were people. Oh, awesome. It was. Well, you know, it was I, I posted on Facebook that there's something called they they were calling it drag queen reading time where. Uh, drag queens would come in and read books to children, uh-huh. and children loved it because the reading was animated. Uh-huh. They were in a costume, right? You know, and the kids. It was it was a real great way to sort of, for for one of a better word, normalize. Sure, you know, expose them to things that they'd never be exposed to, and and to take the fear away and all that. Right. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I would have gone to that. I wish I would have known yeah, about that. that. That's yeah. Anything else? Um. I've been, for whatever reason, going back into certain wells that I haven't visited for a long time, um, and I don't have a lot of time because I'm I'm so busy at work. Um, so I went back and watched Wizards, which I have oh. not watched for probably <laughs> decades now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's such a mixed bag. I yeah. know, right? It is. What that Bakshi stuff is. Yeah, it's it's good, cool, and not cool. Yeah, some of I mean. Uh, what what I really like about Wizards is it still has his um, Fritz the Cat feel, mm-hmm. you know, like it's 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 rough. He hadn't right? found Rotoscope yet. Yeah, well, there's a couple of Rotoscope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so this yeah, it, it's it's interesting and it's fun and it and it reminds me of um, of art that I used to see in um, heavy metal. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Of, of a certain time period. Yeah, very sort of almost Corbin-y. A little bit, yeah. Fun that they take the time to make conversation feel casual. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I thought old wizard is George Carlin. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> uh, funny though, some of the characters are really well executed, and like the main characters are so goofy looking. Right, right. right. It, it's such a weird, and then the background uh, treatment is gorgeous. Like, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> such a, such it's, it's, it's definitely two different uh, 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 styles, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, one's very more abstract than the other. Right on. Uh, anything else? No. I've been watching paint and poly and, and, poly and styrofoam. Right on. Yeah. Uh, me, a bunch of stuff. Go to my website for that. But the highlights, because of our show last week talking about gladiators and stuff, Right. I went back and rewatched both the Eagle and Centurion. Right. Um, my reviews are up there. Fun. Yeah. You know, I, not as solid as I remembered them. Um, and then I went back and... Uh, don't ask me why, but I watched Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl, the Sushi Typhoon sure. Um And it's it's fun. It's that same Sushi Typhoon. It's uh, I mean, his name's escaping me. He's a friend of mine on Facebook. Um, the director. Anyway, he did like Meatball Machine and all that other stuff. It's right. super hyper violent stuff. And um, this is no exception. It's super goofy, but there's some great stuff in it. Yeah. Um, uh, someone gets hit with a sword and then it just goes really slow motion and there's just these dots of blood floating in the air in front of this girl's face. And uh-huh. it's, those are the stuff you just go, I'm going to take that with me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... But um, the rest of it was some nonsense, some horrible movie. Don't ask me why I rewatched Jonah Hedge. I just put it on. You were hoping that... And then uh, uh, The Dead Matter, which is a uh, thing Savini's in. It's one of those... It kind of goes back to what we we're talking about about conventions. It, it just this movie feels like it was the cast was was signed on at a convention. Hey, Savini's over there, and Bill Mosley's over there, and I just went around getting mm-hmm. people's buy-in. That's, um, that's what I do at conventions, right? <laughs> um, so, so that's that. Uh, nothing much else. Nick, again, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, or through nickthehat.com. And it's going to be at Crypticon May 5th, 6th, and 7th in, at SeaTac at the Doubletree, where yes, we sir. all will be. Yep. And and you, what are you up to? You're just doing your work stuff at... Uh, I heard a great thing, speaking of which, you're working... Lanley is doing some work on uh, escape rooms, uh, building Wait. escape rooms, correct? Yeah. I just saw this thing today where it's an escape room where when they lock you in, there's a an actor in the room as a zombie. Oh, wow. And he's chained to the wall. And oh, as, yeah. you, as you go through figuring out the, the games or whatever, every five minutes the chain gets longer. Yeah. And I'm so into that idea. <laughs> oh, that, that's, a, that's a great way to ratchet up the, the uh, distress and the immediacy of uh, getting this figured out. Yeah, you need to do it. There won't be like, oh, this is yeah. bullshit. But, but I do wonder, because like there's legality there. Like, you know, actors in haunted houses can't touch you. Well, hopefully the puzzle in that particular room isn't too hard. It isn't too hard, right? Uh, I, I think the safety issue for the zombie as well. What if somebody is just like, let's just destroy the zombie? Yeah, yeah let's just Look, beat his ass. Yeah, 
yeah. I've seen these movies. His head, his head. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'm an actor. I'm SAG. Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SAG this. I did also hear about some haunted houses that uh, are going up that part of the gig is that they are allowed to touch you. Oh, wow. And by you going in, you, ab- you You're absolve You're basically them. absolving them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that, that'd cool. be fun. I remember working in haunted houses and people getting punched, like little, like ten year olds getting punched. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so bizarre. Um, <laughs> uh, me just doing my thing. I'm I'm finishing up String of Pearls. That'll be done hopefully in the week. It goes out to beta readers, and then uh, after that I go and finish the other thing, the sequel, and then sequel to what? No flesh shall be spared. It's oh, called, yeah, it's called. Uh, it's going to be called Don't Look Back. Um, and uh, it's a it's a running. I'll tell you now, it's a running gun. It's just once we hit the ground running, it's going to be nothing but running and shooting and stuff. So it'll be fun. Um, other than that, next week um, we're hoping to get another guest. Yep. Um, I, I'll I'll tease it by saying Paul Komoda. <laughs> you tease. That's how you tease it. <laughs> we're, we're still hoping, yeah. we're still waiting confirmation on him, but right now, as of now, he's on board. So we're going to talk to him next week. Nick, yeah. man, thanks so much. Yeah. I, you're one of those people that. We always wanted to get on here, and and now that you have, awesome. We hope that you and you'll come back. (laughs) No, for sure. This has been a lot of fun. You guys are great to talk with, and fully knowledgeable of so many things. You guys throw out some really good questions, and it's uh, been uh, great on here. Thanks for having me on. No stop. Fantastic. So we're out of here. See you next week for the Bonus Material Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell, and I'm Langley West. Stay scary.